0: So let's get down 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 for business.
1: Now
0: let's work. Introducing your host Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Launch Day Podcast. It's your place to find out about other businesses, other people in their journey, how they got started, where they exited, how they grew, how they scaled. It's all about that here at launch day. And we're really excited to have this absolutely brilliant gentleman on the show today. His name's Michael Hazilius. Is that I say that right?
1: You did fantastically well. Do do people actually pronounce it wrong? They do. The worst one I've had is Hazalias.
0: they thought you were Greek. Hazalianus. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I love it, man. I love it. That's good. Look, Michael... We've had some brief discussions, but I'm going to wipe that slate clean. I'm going to go and pretend that I know absolutely nothing about you. And I want you to take it away. Introduce yourself to our audiences. Uh, There's people out there that are investors, starting a business, looking to grow a business. Uh, You know, there's a very diverse range of people in our audience. Why don't you share with them who exactly you are? And, you know, let's start with how you got started.
1: Okay. Well, all right. Let's start with, so I'm involved in a few things. So yeah, so I'd consider myself to be a bit of a serial tech entrepreneur, if I can start there. Um, I have, I'm I'm currently involved in about 11, maybe 12 companies now, either as an owner, investor or um, an advisor. And I just, I love solving problems. I love technology. I love solving problems. So it's, I love being able to come up with a solution to a problem and then either commercialize that myself or jump in with a partner or a business partner or something like that and commercialize. So that's what's led to having an interest in 11 different companies. Um, probably During how many companies 11 11 yeah 11 wow. and there's a 12th and under uh, in in the way in the I works love i it. suppose I love yeah it. so w- not a lot of them operationally now i've had to learn how to be able to remove myself from businesses which mm. we can we can definitely unpack but the best example i suppose of one that i've taken from the start is a company called easy employer so founded that day it was pretty much my last year uni project um and that's about 17 years gone on now and i thought within five years i'd be rich Um, we're about to exit after after five after 17 years but it's been a challenging journey it's definitely one to unpack so that's a easy employer is a workforce management product so it automates things like rostering timesheets payroll we do a lot in healthcare pharmacy so that was a long journey there's definitely something to Mm -hmm. unpack there especially with it's coming to an exit Um, and then for the last three years i've been focused on a company called breakout solutions Mm -hmm. so breakout solutions is an education and research company to help people reach financial freedom faster, mm. um, but it, approaching it a little bit different. So we leverage digital assets, cryptocurrency, blockchain, and, and come up with our own, as well as teach other um, profit and passive income strategies to our members. So claim to fame with that one is so far, we've helped over 450 members create millions of dollars in profit and passive income in under three years. And just just getting started on that. And another thing that will be nice to unpack as well is there is a philanthropic purpose to that business. Uh, So we've got something called the Financial Freedom Foundation. So that's basically taking what we know and helping to educate people in lesser privileged countries Mm. so they too can learn financial education. We fund their initial investment and to help them build up. So all comes down to Breakout's mission is to help a million people achieve financial independence by the year 2032.
0: And what happens after twenty thirty two? And you know when you surpass a million, what, what's the next goal after that? Have you thought about that yet?
1: Uh, well, I'm I'm hoping we can surpass a million before twenty thirty two. But given we've uh, in the three years we've helped four hundred and fifty, we've got a long way to go. But these things can obviously grow exponentially when you get some momentum. Um, look, I think uh, I think. Uh, I love everything about cryptocurrency, what it stands for, um, when you break it down to the theoretical side of it. So I think I'll always be involved in that and how that evolves. It's not going to stop after 10 years. Mm. Um, But, I mean, if we get enough momentum, I mean, why not go to tens of millions, hundreds of millions? I mean, you know, we're speculating a little bit that far out. But, yeah, the idea is to help as many people as possible.
0: That's awesome, man. And, you know, like on the topic of crypto, so I, I got into the market in 2016 Mm-hmm. So I was like okay. real earlier. We we're talking like Bitcoin, yeah. was like three, you, or four grand. You got in before I did. Yeah, there you go. Right. When did you get in?
1: I, I was mining Bitcoin on my laptop in 2013, but I didn't have the foresight to see where I was going to go. So yeah, I wasn't yeah. making much money. So I stopped. So 2017 is when I started really like proper. Yeah, yeah. yeah halfway yeah, through yeah. the bull market, is a good story around that. Mate,
0: too. that's brilliant. We're gonna we're gonna go into that that story now, right? So then we'll circle back, we'll cover some of the, like, you know, the early roots of where you've, you know, where your journey's been. But on the crypto topic, man, it was very, very interesting. I got in super early um, and it all, so this is the thing, right? And this would be like a story that someone else may have heard from someone else. And these are probably the challenges that you have when it comes to, you know, crypto, cryptocurrencies and doing crypto trading and things like that to, to grow income, mm-hmm. right? Is that, so I put all of my assets I was like, man, I was the easy 50, 60K position at that point, right? And that was 2016. Mm-hmm. I put all of my crypto assets into an automatic trader, right? And they went bust and they took off with the crypto. Wow. Right? And so it was like really, really crap. And then the thing was, is I believed it because I was like, I was in a position where I was like, i have making a withdrawal. I've got the money. It's in, it's in hand. Uh, you know what I mean, but no one really knew the the founder. Like they weren't like a public figure. They weren't out and about. They were just a it was just a guy behind a computer with a name, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you were getting the payouts, but like you trust the the trust was established through the fact that there were payouts, not necessarily by the person who was running it and who was associated with it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So I find it really interesting because I lost all sixty thousand dollars. Yeah. Which today would be well in the worth of around, you know, half a million to three quarters of a million dollars.
1: Depends when you chose to exit your positions, I suppose. That's a lot of people mm-hmm. don't know when to sell and greed kicks in because it did with me. So that's a typical typical signs of what's known as a Ponzi scheme. Yes. So where they'll Correct. take they'll take new money and use it to pay out old money. Um, I don't know whether you're pleased or not pleased to know, but there's still a lot of those around. Really? Yep, there's still a lot of those around because you have to understand with cryptocurrencies. Once you send a transaction across the blockchain, you can't reverse it. Of course. So it's the perfect tool for scammers. It doesn't mean that all cryptocurrencies are scams, and this is where a lot of people throw the baby out with that's the bathwater,
0: right? Like I want you to. So this is the thing, right? Because there are going to be a lot of people listening. So you're doing this. You're showing people a pathway to financial freedom through things like cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people that are going to be listening here that have heard stories like mine, I want you to debunk that, not entirely, because mm. we, are, we are admitting that there are Ponzi schemes out there, yeah. but I want you to give them confidence.
1: Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, sure. So every, every financial instrument gets abused. So there's Ponzi schemes and scams in traditional finance. In fact, there's more there's more money laundering and 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 money stolen in in the traditional financial system than there is in cryptocurrency. This is this is proven. There's companies like Chain Analysis that do um, analysis of blockchain transactions and everything. Right. Um, it's just so it's just because a transaction can be reversed is why it is actually a really good tool for scammers to use. There's a lot of scams out there that. They'll ask you to send cryptocurrency to them, but they are actually got nothing to do with cryptocurrency, right? So there's a lot of that out there. Look, to address that elephant, right? Mm. Um, I'm I'm your customer. Convince me because I haven't touched crypto since. Well, we've got 450 members. Some of them have made, you know, not quite millions individually, but quite a lot of money. Mm. Um, And you talk about an auto trader. So we've got one we're preparing for launch at the moment that's been doing up to 25% a month. That's I've, I've been on it for four or five months and we're now packaging up for our members. So, And I, I work closely with the founder, we're partnered. So there are definitely legitimate projects out there that it's a revolutionary technology. Every re- revolutionary technology goes through slumps and issues and companies fail and the rest of the blockchain's no different. But its ability to solve problems where it cuts out a whole range of middlemen like a whole financial system can be built on top of bitcoin and crypto and we're seeing it happening now it's just going to take some time to play out so but there's a lot of rubbish in the space. So there's over 20,000, there's probably 25,000 coins and tokens now. So I led a research team of five people and our whole job is to look at all these and try and work out which ones actually are legit, legitimate, which ones have the potential to revolutionize whatever problem they're trying to solve and which ones are junk.
0: So we're not, no, we're not just talking about just Bitcoin, Ethereum, things like that. We're talking about the little guys that are coming to the market as well, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- those uh what was it what was that one that really oh man it was like last year in july it was really really popular and there was this massive crash for the life of me
1: um safe moon um, something like that pepe yeah. coin something, something that was this year Something to do with yeah. space. yeah so they, these are called meme coins right mm-hmm. and so especially in, in bull markets a crypto works off a four-year cycle typically Um, and so 2000, so you got in 2016, 17 was a bull market, right? And I got through halfway through there, made a lot of money, lost a lot. We can unpack that. Um, then the next one, four years later, so 2021 was the next, was the next bull market. So when that, when that happens, there's a lot of hype, I call it the hype cycle. It's like the last few months of the bull market. That's when everyone's talking about it, right? That's when Elon Musk is, is tweeting about it's all over the news. You jump into an Uber and the Uber driver's telling me what, what coins and tokens to buy, right? These are all what, what I call top signals. So these are all signals that we're in a hype cycle and we're at the top of the the cycle and it's overextended. So I start selling when I hear about all this kind of stuff. Mm. Whereas 90 plus plus percent of people come in and start buying and that's why they end up losing money because they come in right at the top of the cycle but that's there's a lot of speculation that comes in at that point of the cycle so even they call them shit coins meme coins they will just pump because there's so much hype coming into the market right so i've actually made a lot of money from meme coins um Mm. now we don't usually recommend them to our members because they they don't have good what's known as fundamentals they're more
0: volatile then.
1: more volatile but there's there's no fundamentally strong parts of the technology that means that it actually has intrinsic value, some kind of value yeah. it's just usually it's got a logo it's got a community around it it's got hype so that you can make a lot of money out of those you can also lose a lot if you don't know how to time markets yeah. so there's a lot of those around i normally say that the pla- the space is probably has f- 95% of the projects in crypto are not going to survive mm. okay out of that probably at least half maybe 60 70% are probably some form of scam right? So there's a lot out there, right? Maybe maybe half of that 95. The rest of it are, and I talk to a lot of these founders when we research these projects, the rest of them are, um, they have legitimate intentions, like they want to solve a problem. But to be honest, they don't have the skills, the experience, the capability, the leadership, any of these traits that are required to build a successful company, they don't have them. Often it's like, you know, someone who's a supermarket clerk or something like that that's gone, I want to create another crypto, Right. So that's part of our research process. Is when my research team shortlists it and says, "Look, this looks good." Blah blah blah. I'll actually go to the founders if if it gets that far and get, and give them a whole bunch of questions, right? Because I've built a software company from the ground up and I nearly lost it, and it was a, it was a terribly challenging seventeen years that I've been through. People think business it just goes like this. It's all over the place, right? And and I, and this happened to me, so I know the challenges that come with building a software product, leading a team, and getting it to a point where you can scale to be successful, when it's freaking hard man and most people you like probably one or two percent of companies do it so we'll go we'll ask all the founders most of the time they never reply if they do reply i can tell straight away whether it's legit or not and then we'll go deeper so i'll work with them often they'll invite me as an advisor or i'll help them a little bit on, on a short path so so we're looking for projects that, to kind of answer your question it's not it's not easy to know something's going to do well it's like in the traditional stock market you're investing in tiny caps but you're, you're investing in the team. This is the most important thing. This is in and outside of crypto, right? Mm. When you're investing in early stage companies, you're investing in the team. So that's the first thing I look at. Their experience, their skills, their capability. What have they done before? Do they have a working product? Is it being used? How many users do they have? We've got actually got a 10-step criteria. We actually teach this in our one-day workshop as well. We run people mm. through our 10-step criteria so they can do it themselves. Um, so it's it's a not a precise science, but definitely there's going to be the next big Pro, the next big companies, like you've had your Facebook, your Googles, your Amazons, all the rest of it. The next ones are going to come from two or three things. AI, blockchain. AI, blockchain, like crypto, and the, the merge of those. And that's I'm doing a talk at the Australian Crypto Convention next month on the future of investing in wealth creation using AI. And that's AI meets blockchain. And that space is super, super exciting. So you're going to see like the next huge companies that are going to come out of AI and blockchain um so there's legitimate stuff going on but probably less than five percent of the projects out there probably have a chance of succeeding and that's why it's it's tricky
0: mm. so like you know what you're saying is specifically is more along the lines of you know don't look at it as like uh, the way i say is if if i went out on my own to go and start trading crypto i would either a have to learn a lot to be able to make the right decisions or b it would be better if I worked with someone like yeah. you that was able to, you know, better my chances. So there's still, there's always going to be risk associated, but it's better working with a team that has the knowledge and is researching and is, you know, consulting with these people face-to-face with all of these owners of all these cryptocurrencies as well. So, and that's that's where the having a bit more of a safer investment comes from, is that you have that knowledge and expertise to share with people have i got that right
1: you have yeah yeah so i've so there's a slide that i put up when i'm presenting on 10 reasons why 90 of crypto 90 of crypto investors lose money i've made all of those mistakes and i have a technology background and i was trading and investing before i started in crypto and i've still made all the mistakes i've been scanned i've lost money i've i've not had the right security and got hacked um i've gotten caught by greed not selling when i should have and all, so. So it's like anything in life, right? If you want to learn how to be the best at something, are you going to go yourself and spend the 10,000 hours or are you going to find someone to coach you or train you to accelerate that path? Mm -hmm. It's no different in investing. It's no different in cryptocurrency. It's just that cryptocurrency is so niche. It's so specialised. What people don't really understand about this space is it's an interjection of so many different types of skills and industries, I suppose. You've got... You've got technology, which a lot of people don't really understand at the, at the technical level. Um, you've got money. You've got economics. Um, you've got investing and trading. So it's a cross-section of a whole bunch of really unique um, areas that, look, personally, I've been blessed to, to have a lot of knowledge in because of my career and my skills and experience and what I've done, and most people don't. And So it's very, very niche. So again, yes, you can go and learn everything yourself, but you can you – can, drastically fast pace that if you have someone that can teach you and, and stop and learn from their mistakes and also we provide a lot of our research so already you're straight away down the path where you're like okay cool well here's 10 or here's 10 or 15 that these guys have done the research on. So I'll have a look at those and see what I'm gonna invest into. And we go all the way to actually automated solutions. And that's, that's really where I think I differentiate is because I don't have time to sit there and research and manually trade anymore. So how have I had all the success? So I use my skills and experience in software development and automation to build products and services in this space so that I don't have to sit there and watch the markets. Right? I know how to trade. I did it for six to nine months full time in 2020 when mm-hmm. COVID hit. Yeah. Um, you know what, lost a lot of money got better made it back and in that same t- time period my portfolio that i would invested a lot of stuff in 1819 went 15 to 20x in that same six months that i was busting my balls trying to make money from trading and i'm like why the hell am i sitting here at a screen for 10 hours a day not eating sleeping properly and being a slob when my portfolio just just i just made like 200,000 dollars by doing nothing but buying good projects at the right time mm. so that was a catalyst to go Holy shit, I can actually use my knowledge to help people. And that was what started Breakout Solutions, essentially.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So, what was the motivation around
1: making money? Who doesn't like to make money? Um, especially as a 20, 30 year old male or something. You know, we like it's just you get to a, st- a stage, especially for me, it was kind of my 20s was yeah, I was building companies, but I was partying and having fun. and I wasn't even investing, I didn't start investing until probably late 20s early 30s mm. um so who doesn't like to make money firstly um i think i guess to go back to that i mean i i started business so my first business i started at 16 i was building fixing computers mm. i just i just again i love solving problems and i love the idea i just loved everything about entrepreneurship before i knew what entrepreneurship that's, was
0: that's how i got my nickname who by the way Houdin, okay because the magician the, the problem yeah. solver so I, I can relate to that right yeah it's yeah. funny because I like i've done that as a little side project too is like start a little company just fixing computers
1: and shit. yeah yeah so like
0: I, I'm like you're telling me you're telling me this story and i'm like now i'm having deja vu so go, go keep going yeah yeah, yeah. and
1: I, i've everything that i do i do at 100 miles an hour and i focus severely and we can go through like i've you know i've nearly represented straight three sports three different uh just dis- um disciplines including computer games and stuff like that right so i get I get ultra zoned in and I just go deep and it almost becomes unhealthy if you're not aware of the the lack of balance that that results in, right? Mm. Um, pretty much have achieved a lot in everything that I've done and business was the first thing that I found that was like, Shit, this is really hard. Like, I couldn't I couldn't crack it in like three, four, five years. Like, when I came out of uni and I took Easy employee to market, I thought within five years I'd be rich. It's seventeen years on now, we're about to exit. It's not going to make me rich. The learnings along the way is what's making going to make me rich, and yeah, what already yeah. is. But the company itself didn't. But that's how naive I was, jumping into business at that at that stage. Um, so, I think so. Yeah, your question was what motivated me. To want to make money, I yeah. want to teach. Yeah, uh, just be the the freedom that money can give you. You know, um, I grew up in a family with lots of lots of love. I'd say maybe not always openly, um, but not a lot of money. So, family have a lot of money. But look, very blessed in that all my basic needs and that was met. But you know, my dad's a carpenter, my mum's a teacher. They always were working their ass off trying to provide for for their family. And my brother and sister have always been, you know, brothers in the public service. My sister was always in corporate. So we never really had a lot. Um, and so the ability, the, the thought of being able to, hey, well, I'm really smart. I'm pretty much good at everything I can do. Why don't I make a lot of money and give my family everything that, you know, we want? So it, it all came from there. But, you know, then you get knocked down a number of times in business things start to not work out um you know you kind of struggle and that whole vision you can lose your vision you can i know i definitely did at one point i just got stuck in the the rat race of business not the rat race that most people are stuck in the nine to five yeah so i think it was always it always was the the freedom the flexibility that money could give me you know when i when i achieved that that was really the main motivation um yeah, because I think because my family didn't really understand wealth mindset, I never really learnt all that. You don't learn it at school. This is part of the reason why I teach this now is, um, well, I'm, I'm, the reason why I, I teach breakout is I'm nearly not here today to talk to you because of financial pressures and we'll no doubt unpack that. So there's a reason why I teach that because had I been able to learn that from uh, my family or from the schooling system, which for me is super biased, and the way it's been created to, to create um, slaves in the machine. We'll talk about the financial matrix. The school system, right now, mate, believe me, I could tell you. It's yeah, about to. yeah, I'm sure. It's, it's, it's shocking. So it doesn't really empower the school system. The biggest two things I didn't get out of school financial education and learning how to love myself, learning how to look after myself, health, both physically, mentally, spiritually. Yeah. Didn't get that. And so that, they're the two things that I've had to learn the hard way through my life so far
0: you said something earlier about like you wouldn't even be here like what's, what's yeah like, that's that's a bit of a touchy subject is is that something you're open to talking about yeah,
1: yeah absolutely well i do i do talk about it um fairly often actually um okay. because <laughs> when i when i present on it because it, it's the reason really why breakout solution exists
0: so i was afraid uh, to ask right because i was like you mentioned it, then you zoom straight past it, and I thought oh, I'll I'll ask, I'll bring it up, but you know, but you know, mean if you're happy to share, if you're sharing with thought you know, sharing it a lot, mate, you know, I'd love to love to hear your yeah, yeah. stories there for sure?
1: Yeah, well, it's a key, it's a key part. To breakout solutions wouldn't wouldn't exist without it, and that's a key thing of what I'm doing now. So that's a pretty important context. Mm-hmm. Um, so you talked about crypto in 2016, 17. So yeah. if we go back to 2017, so. I chose to debt fund Easy Employer through my family's properties. Right. Okay. I didn't go out and get investment. I didn't even think I'd, I didn't even know how to get investment back then or chose not to learn whatever. And I had an opportunity, I remember when, my, when I brought my sister into Easy Employer pretty early on. Um, like, so we'd, we'd taken a loan against the family property pretty early on. But by 2017, multiple properties of the family was all mortgaged mm-hmm. to fund Easy Employer. And that's the belief that my family have in me. I mean, my mum my and dad think I can sell ice to Eskimos, you know, like they just the, un, the unparalleled belief that they had in me, you know, since, since I was young. It's a beautiful thing. It's what gave me a lot, of, a lot of my confidence. It's probably what to some degree gave me a lot of my ego as well, which had to get beaten out of me. So in 2017, heavily leveraged trying to scale Easy Employer, burning money every month trying to hit that break-even point, right, like a lot of tech companies, but not with a very sophisticated, knowledgeable and experienced investor or VC behind me, just me doing it myself with some family money. There's That's a, right. There's a lesson Zero in that, right?
0: Zero guidance. There's no, you know, there's like even having a soundboard, is this the right thing to do? I get you.
1: Yeah, and I've had some people help me along the way. I've been very blessed to have um, a couple of people in my life, like some mentors that I've probably gone a bit deeper with since this, but this was – well, I don't really, I don't need help. I can do this myself. I'm brilliant, right? Mm. So it's a big lesson for anyone. Like always get help, always find someone who's been there and done that before you. And you'll be surprised because I get asked to help people now. You'd be surprised how, um, how forthright and how keen people are, successful people are to help other people. You don't know if you don't ask. So 2017, burning, burning, burning money every month, trying to hit that break even point. Working 100 plus hours a week, you know, then going out on the weekend and partying and drinking and partying. And that was that was my way of managing the stress. I didn't know that was my coping mechanism at that point in time. Yeah. And then I hear about all my mates making shitloads of money in crypto. And I'm like, well, hang in a minute. You know nothing about software. Um, you don't know how to read code. You, you don't know anything. And you're making this money? Mate, I can make way more money than, than you. I know what I'm doing in this space, right? This is the attitude yeah, that yeah. I came in with so i jumped in and this was about halfway through the bull market um and i that turned bull rush i think what it? the price it kind of stabilized that around 16 and then it shot all the way
0: up to well,
1: yeah well the bull market started a lot a lot earlier than that probably probably from less probably from eight or nine thousand is really so bull market actually starts fairly early like arguably yeah. we're actually started one now right but you're not going to see it come to fruition until mid to late next year depending on macroeconomics, but that's another subject. So I jumped in literally within three months, 15, turned 15K to nearly 450 US. And I thought, wow. I thought, this is great. I'm awesome. Look how smart I am. I'm brilliant, right? I proved myself right that I came in with all these, all my skills and experience and I can make heaps more money than them, right? I'm like, all I gotta do is do this for another three to six months and I'll make enough money to pay off all the debts and I'll be sweet. Yeah. So I'll never forget, actually, it was January. I don't know the exact date, but it was January 2018. I was on a family holiday and we were going with my family. We go on a holiday every year with my parents and nieces and nephews and that. And I was on yeah. the beach with my laptop, looking at my portfolio, 450K or something, going through all my coins and tokens, going, how good is this? Like, this is the life, right? Um, that was the height of my success at that point in time. Mm. The, the crypto market crashed not, 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 not long after that. And let's say pretty much all of those profits were lost within a couple of months. Yeah, so right. literally over $400,000 US I lost right. in profits, but it's still money that I thought I had. That's right. You know how shameful that, that feels? Very. To, to know, to go from, look how smart I am and look how much money I can make because how brilliant I am to, fuck, I just lost $400,000, Right. And for someone that took a lot of their value as a person from achievement, this is something I've had to unpack over the years. A lot of growing up because I was so good at everything, I think I built, connected that to being loved and accepted. And I thought, well, mm-hmm. I've got to be good at everything. Otherwise, I'm not going to be loved. That's something that took me many years to work out mm-hmm. and still creeps up on me now. It's just something I need to manage. So now, worst part about that, I went back to my business that I'd been ignoring for four or five months that was already in distress And it was a shambles. It was like, we're losing more money. The team's not being led properly. And I've come back. And not not only do I not have any of the money that I thought I was going to have to help the business, now the business is worse off. So that year, 2018, was a really hard year for me. So things just started to get worse and worse. Of course, I didn't turn to ask people for help. I just partied more. I didn't, I stopped exercising. And my health spiraled out of control. Mm. And it it eventuated in... um, it all led up to a point where my mindset got so bad that, um, and this this actually makes me shake when I think about this. There's still some emotion around this, but I definitely, mm. um, I definitely, uh, it definitely brings back the emotion. But I, I I can control it these days. So it got so bad that there was a point of time. So I was traveling between Canberra and Melbourne at the time, and I was in my Melbourne apartment. Seventeenth floor. Can I stand up? Yeah. And uh, me, uh
0: if you're gonna do that, let me just move the camera.
1: Yeah, yeah it'll be, It so. makes it a little bit easier. What do I do with the mic? Uh,
0: bring up. Towards you. Yeah, yeah. So up. Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 I might not. Sit. I'll just sit, stay. Yeah. Again. Yeah. I'll move the thing for a so. Tell me. Yeah. So I'm on my balcony. Yeah, seventeenth floor. It's about three AM. I just been out partying. I'm starting to feel a little nervous. (laughs) God, came home, um, finished a whole bottle of vodka, Mm. standing on the balcony, thinking, "How am i going to get out of this? We're basically uh, run out of money. Uh, Debts were piling up. Credit cards were maxed. I honestly didn't think I had a way out. That's how that's how bad my mindset got. I definitely wasn't healthy at that point in time. So I actually I went over to my computer. I printed out all my insurance papers, and I went through them clause by clause, mm, line by line. And I worked out I could raise enough money to free up my family from all the debts, and yeah, lose all the properties that my family has spent that whole multiple generations building. Yeah, so I went over to the balcony and I looked over and I said, "All you're going to do is jump." Phew. So I didn't. Thankfully, I didn't jump that night. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but boy, I wanted to give up. And for a while, I did. I actually had a mental, nervous, physical breakdown, whatever you call it, literally days after that. Yeah. I was pretty much a bit of a vegetable. Um, got pulled out of the business, went home to my parents, and Mum just started looking after me and building me back up. And That was literally getting out of bed, going for a walk, and eating food was my task for the day. My whole nervous system was completely shot. Yeah, right. Wow. Honestly, man, I used to say it was my breakdown, but it was end up being my breakthrough. You can sit down yeah. there back now, feel. Yeah. And I'll, I'll talk to you about why it was such an important part uh, of my my life and my development. Did you see the? Um, oh, did you see me shaky or anything? <laughs> yeah. yeah Just definitely. the, the visualization yeah. that comes back from that moment.
0: Oh, to be honest i was visualizing it as well like just as you were saying it you know i was i was picturing myself looking down that's yeah. on the 17th floor as well
1: it's you know makes you gut wrench a little <laughs> yeah you know it, it does I mean? and it still does it still does for me even though i've come to peace with it because so that that actually was the start of my rebuild like i i was forced to completely question everything in my life you know how did i come from a really good family had had, had wealth although it was on paper get to the point where I nearly took my own life like what the so I rebuilt myself a lot of that's where my spiritual journey started but there was um to finish off my rebuild there was this charity ride through bike uh through Thailand that my mates always did every year it was 500 kilometers in 5 days
0: I just want to say as well yeah, yeah. for those listening uh you know in the event that you know you, you do need to speak to someone after hearing this story lifeline is 13 11 14 uh you know I'll double check that phone number again but yeah 13 11 14 if you do need a chat to someone if you're overseas listening to this story um, you know reach out to a service near you by all means uh, but mate yeah michael
1: go go yeah, just to add to that I'll just reach out to someone and don't feel like that there's no way out because there's always there's always a way out there's always a way to to improve your situation
0: and here's the thing though is. you're here now and you're able to go and say well I I decided not to choose that pathway and and here look at where I am now Absolutely. Yeah yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, look, I, I definitely come from a more privileged family than I think. Uh, is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. That fine, man. Yeah. yeah. Then a, yeah, a lot of people do. Um, yeah. but at that point in time, I didn't see, I didn't see a way out and it got so close. So just as part of the rebuild, um, you know, walking again and then starting to jog, um, I said, you know what? And this is how it kind of insane and intense. I am. This bike rides on in, in three months. Right, And people train six to nine months for it. And I'm like, I'm signing up, I'm doing it. That's going to be the the challenge. So I I, I got to the point where I managed to do like a 30-kilometer ride um, on a road bike in a nice cool temperature in Canberra, right? Nice. We get there in Thailand day one, 95 kilometers in 40 degree heat wow. on a hybrid bike it wasn't even a road i'm like why are we riding this made the terrain that you go through like shocking terrain <laughs> right so this is not 500 kilometers on the on a nice paved road on a road bike this is this is crappy roads dirt all sorts of stuff right yeah and that was to date the most challenging physical challenge i've ever done in my life um to date and so uh, but I just got stronger and stronger. I pushed through. Next day, 100k. Day three, I never forget. 135 kilometers. 46 degree heat. We left oh, at 6 a.m. and it was like 36 degrees at 6 a.m. And you would have been sweating too because oh, it like, Thailand's what? not just hot; it's hot. Yeah, it's hard, man. Like you know you're stopping I mean? every 10k's you're, to to re, to you know drink water and all the rest of it. That that particular day, halfway at lunchtime. I got off the bike and I think I had like a heat stroke or something. I, didn't, I never had that before, but I couldn't... I fell off when we got to the lunch and I couldn't talk. I couldn't even get up and I was, I was like, give me water, whatever. And I, was, and I was there for half an hour trying to recover while everyone yeah. else was eating. And I remember my, my, my brain said, you're done. Like, well done. You've done really well, but you have to stop now. Like, you're, you're stuffed. And I said, you know what? No, I'm, I'm not done. In fact, not only am I done... Once I eat and refresh, I'm gonna to go to the front of the pack and I'm gonna challenge myself and see can I keep up? The front of the pack had the real riders, you know, the ones with thighs at size of my yeah, body, yeah, right? Yeah,
0: that's right. I thought,
1: no, no, because I knew I knew I was reading books, whatever. I knew that you could push a lot further past what your brain tells you, but I'd never experienced it today. That 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 one leg that was about 20 K's changed my life because I started off at the back of a pack of about 15 or 16 people and they started dropping off at the back. It was a one lane because there was cars flying past, quite dangerous. They kept dropping off and I just kept going around them and catching up and my thighs were exploding like I was in so much pain. We got to the end of that leg. There were four people mm. on that, out of 15. I was at the back with the, with the main guy who from the company and two others and they all looked around and went, Who the fuck are you? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) First time in three days, this guy rocks up fourth out of 15 people. And my legs, I was in so much pain, but it was one of the most joyous moments of my life where these these riders turned around and went, who are you? And I went, yeah, buddy. You know, and that, that is something that I look back on all the time. Now, when I have challenging uh, situations in business or whatever, I go, you don't know what you're capable of. And it's the same with everyone. I'm not special. It's the same with everyone, right? But to finish off that Thailand story, riding into the orphanage on day five and seeing how happy all these kids were, we raised about three hundred fifty thousand US. That's awesome. And it was going to fuel the orphanage for another couple of years. A beautiful charity called Hands Across the Water, and it was a business blueprint ride that I went on. I'm going to be doing it. I did it again last year. I'm doing it again next year. It might be the third, probably third and last because I want to do my own stuff. We're going to do it again, and uh, just seeing how happy these kids were and. And you're saying like, what's money going to give you? Well, seeing what money was giving them inspired me. It was a very profound experience. I'm like, what can I do with my own? So this is before Breakout Solutions formed, right? And I went, I've got to, I had a, an urge coming out of that rebuild to go, there is more to life than building businesses and making money. Like I was doing that and I nearly took my life. So hang on I mean, there's got to be more to it. So what is it for me? So I started doing, I started doing all sorts of stuff, affiliate marketing and this, that and trading and and I was like, what is it that I can do that's going to help people? And then the bull market, then 2020 came around. And then I, I traded for six months, as I said before, made a heap of money just from coins and coins and tokens that I bought. And I went, holy shit, it's been under my eyes the whole time. It's crypto. That's, that's, that's what I know. That's what I'm good at. It can make a big difference. And so Breakout Solutions was born with the mission to help a million people achieve financial independence. In the that's awesome, years.
0: man. You know, and like, that's the thing here as well, because you know, like I, I, I definitely resonate with your story and finding something that's actually really meant for you. And I'd like, I've done that, especially through this podcast, because for me, like, you know, I ran the marketing agency and like, oh, and don't get me wrong, marketing, you know, absolutely brilliant for a long time. And there, there are some, you know, a lot of people that even listen to this that work with these people, you know, that are probably exceeded me in terms of performance in, in, in their business. But, you know, especially very early on, they were getting advice from me when it came to marketing. And then, so for me, marketing, I, I like, I really fucking love it, don't get me wrong, but I hate actually doing it. So mm. the 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 <laughs> knowledge around the and the things that I learned about marketing and best practices and like the, a lot of the time, this is the difference, right? A lot of other people go out there And they will learn from other people's YouTube videos and what other, they'll copy what other people did. Whereas everything that I ever did was always pioneering that space. So I would go out there and test things for myself. I was very, very risk averse. I'm sorry, not risk averse. I had a pretty big risk appetite at the time. So a lot of my knowledge around marketing has come from just taking those risks. Um, And, and it's been, absolutely brilliant for me to be able to like even now especially with you know why I started the whole podcast as well is that I can start a business in less than a day and make it look like it's been around for 10 years Mm -hmm. the thing is though is that doing the actual work involved in the marketing side even if I have a team around me that's doing it you know I'm a bit of a perfectionist you know I'm like ah you know that's not right and then when you times that by 20 clients and That's it. Then you sort of grow out of proportion from there. It becomes really stressful, and I don't Mm. think I would ever be able to get myself out of that business. I think I'd be working for the business for the rest of my life if I did that. But one thing that I know that is extremely aligned with me is doing things like this podcast. I love Mm. speaking. I love teaching. I love listening. uh, You know, and sharing stories. And, and for me, that that's that's why, you know, even, you know, we're in here today is because I've shifted my focus, not just because of, so the, one of the main reasons is health, because, you know, especially since having a stroke in March, um, you know, I've, I've got some health challenges and mm-hmm. limit how much time I can put in in every week. But also looking at it from a perspective of this is what I well and truly love doing. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm, I feel extremely aligned with that. When I come into this studio with you, I get I get pumped man you know what i mean like i'm like yes michael let's go man like i'm 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 literally over the mood right um yeah quite literally
1: i just yeah i just want to expand on that because i think i just want to unpack that a little bit and how i relate to it as well because you made a really good point there just because you're good at something doesn't mean you love it and doesn't mean you should be doing it yeah Uh, that's that's one point um or doesn't mean that you you need to choose to do that forever right um, the other point is um, I also don't like doing marketing. Um, and so if we have a look at breakout solutions, pretty much 90% of all we've got a team of like 12, 13 people now, pretty much the whole team. So I don't, I don't like doing marketing. Um, I'm actually, I actually can be good at it as well, um, but I don't enjoy it. Um, I don't actually, it's funny I, didn't, I never saw marketing, social media, whatever, as a, as a good use of my time. I just mm. didn't see it as a valuable use of my time. Yet, the more, the more of these things that I do, the more social media that I do, whatever, it's helping to, to grow the business and take it to a new level, right? I never really saw the value in it because I'm a tech guy, I'm a programmer, I sit behind the computer and code programs. Mm. So what I've had to learn, a lot of lessons actually through business really, but firstly, understanding that, you know, the saying you need to be the dumbest person at the table, right? The letting go of your ego to be able to accept that and then to start to execute on that was a big journey for me. I'm a, I'm a perfectionist as well as a micromanager. The reason why I got to the point in Easy Employer um, where I nearly wanted to jump was because I didn't know how to lead and empower a team. And I was trying to do so much myself. Now we had a team of like 20, 25 people, but I had my hands in everything and I was micromanaging everything. And that was um, inhibiting their ability to grow, learn and do a better job. And it was putting enormous amounts of pressure on me to the point where, you know, I nearly cracked and everything nearly fell over. So understanding that you need to build a good team around you and you need to invest into building and growing the team um, and leading the team, that's something that I'm still working on. But that's, that was a key thing that took me a long time to learn because you have to leave your ego at the door if you're actually going to be able to do that. Mm. Um, and from someone someone who has been pretty much good and excelled at everything I've ever done. Not, not, Again, not to brag, but because I took my value as a person from what I was able to achieve. So coming from that mindset and that being drummed into your subconscious or at least your subconscious coming up with that story, going to a point of, well, hang on a minute, I've got to pull back. I don't always have to be the hero. Let's actually give some credit. Let's take some blame as good leaders do. Um, and let's Absolutely. let's let's empower the team, right? And 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 honestly, and even some of my team will watch this now, and, and they will agree. I'm still working on that. That's going to be something I'm going to work on for a long time. So yeah. a lot of the personal development I do now, from a leadership perspective, right? Um, so I'm building. So you need to know firstly what your strengths are. You need to know what your weaknesses are, and then even your strengths might not be something that you actually love doing. So you need to, out of that, you you need to find something you love doing, what you're good at, what can make money, what can make a difference. That's icky, guy. yeah yeah, look up icky guy if anyone's not familiar with it right so you got to work out what that is and then you have to surround yourself with people that can cover everything else that's right um but that's that's taken me a couple decades really to work that out and here's a shortcut guys by the way (laughs) so yeah absolutely yeah just look at icky guy but also just understand that you can't do everything alone for those for those perfectionists those um overachievers out there you need to find balance we're talking about health you know, putting a focus on my health has been the most important thing that I've done, and it's actually elevating every part of my life now. Um, but surrounding yourself with people, know, know your weaknesses. Um, don't just hire people just like you, um, because that's a common thing. And, and build a team around you that's diverse and empower them to go forward. So most of breakout solutions is marketing and admin and operations. Uh, I don't like any because you, know? you hate them all. Yeah, hate them all. <laughs>
0: that's you right. Know? I love it. That's yeah. brilliant. That's yeah. brilliant. That's really good. <laughs> Look, we, we're sort of digging into the halfway mark here. Uh, pretty exciting, actually, because I feel like we've just been talking for 10 minutes. Uh, it, Indeed. Time has flown by. But um, what we're going to do is we're going to go to a short ad break. We're going to come right back. For us, it's going to be a little five, 10-minute break, however long you need. Then we to get stuck back into it. For you guys listening, uh, unfortunately, you don't get a five-minute break. You're going to have to come back in 30 seconds. Uh, But we're going to go right over to that and we'll be back with you shortly. First and foremost, before we get into our ad break, I just want to say to each and every single one of you how grateful I am that you guys tune in and listen to each and every one of these podcast episodes. What I'd really love from you, if you haven't already, is to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, as well as hitting the bell icon so you never miss a new episode. Now, I wanted to talk to you guys about a really cool opportunity, and that opportunity is a brand new program that has been brought out by the Launch Day Podcast, and it's called the Amplify Programme. The Amplify program is highly focused on building your personal brand. The two things that you're probably looking for in building your personal brand is credibility, authority, trustworthiness. There's some really, really big ones. And podcasting gives you that that opportunity, right? So being part of a podcast will give you authority just by the look of being on a podcast and being in that setup. Now, how we further enhance that as well is, and this is another big problem that a lot of you will have, is content. Content is a tricky one because I know all of you out there are sitting there scratching your heads thinking, how do I post videos every single day about me, about my business? It's really hard. With our Amplify program, we actually give you 180 videos across three months, from our podcast interviews. That's really important, 180. So you can post two per day for three months or you could post one per day for six months. That is so much content and it's gonna solve a lot of problems for you when it comes to growing and scaling your presence online. Not only that, but you also get a mini personal brand photo shoot as part of our program as well so you can further enhance your profile and get ready for it the icing on the cake you also are guaranteed to be featured on publications such as forbes australia by being part of our program If this sounds like you and someone who wants to get all of this credibility, authority, trustworthiness through 180 pieces of content, a personal brand photo shoot, doing a podcast, as well as being featured in places like Forbes Australia, then give us a call, give us a shout Head on over to launchday.au. So that's www.launchday.au, or you can call our office directly. It is plus six one two nine zero five five eight zero eight eight. And guys, we're back thanks for staying tuned to the launch day podcast um guys michael hazelius here in the room it's such an inspirational story i think that so many people can can relate to to what you're what you're sharing as well right and like i know that i relate to it to a lot of things that you've mentioned as well like i'm sitting here going yeah yeah me too like i know exactly like you know you said sporting teams right Mm -hmm. and how you could have played for australia it's me too right mm. so I'm sort of sitting there going like I turned down an opportunity to train as a goalkeeper for the Australian Goalkeepers Academy cool um, you know what I mean and that yeah. was like that was a really big thing I was like maybe 14, 15 at the time turned it down you know what I said So I don't want to be a goalkeeper I want to be a striker uh, <laughs> fucking <yeah>. idiot <laughs> Could yeah. playing for the bloody Australia right so there's so many so much stuff that I can relate to and there's so many other things that other people can relate to as well and One of the things for me was you know and everyone knows this that listens is that i actually started really really early when i started in business and started getting myself involved in business related projects i was very very young still in high school even before high school i've got a very entrepreneurial journey but i want to hear yours right like Mm. you have talked a lot about you being an expert at software like when when did that start Mm. you know how did you get into that where where were the the very grassroots of of of, you know your Mm. history
1: so it's, it's funny you mentioned football there, or soccer as it's called in Australia, right? Yeah. Because that is where it started for me. Really? Yeah. Mate, I'm, I'm blown. Yeah, man. yeah. So, so, much, so, much so let's in dive college, into that a little bit, right? Yeah. So, so, so my, dad's, my dad's Greek. He immigrated to Australia when he was 12. Didn't learn the language. He, or he didn't know the language. He learnt it. And so he loved soccer. He loved football, right? So I grew up with that. Yeah. Um, so for the first 16 years of my life, all I wanted to do was play football, soccer for Australia. Love it. So Dad started. So I would, I would be, I'd be like, I think I started kicking a soccer ball at about nine months. So some people haven't started walking yet, and I was kicking a soccer ball. Overachiever from nine months, right? So Love I, it. I always was pl- playing football and soccer in the in the house all day, every day. That's all I ever did. So Dad, start, Dad coached me all the way through from you know under sevens or whatever, all the way through. I was in rep squads um and because i was kind of small and not not solid um indoor soccer is where i excelled so i think so. i played for the act team a number of times i grew up in canberra i only been in city for about four years Mm. and so i got selected i played one game for the australian indoor team i came in as a reserve because some people pulled out and played so that was kind of that's one of my claims to fame right i played one one game i came on as a sub so football was everything for me And that's all I wanted to do. Now, um, we'll talk about the programming, the business side, because that came in, that was an overlap. But yeah, it was about to about age fourteen, fifteen. So I'm one of the most inflexible people, unflexible, whatever that I've ever met. I pretty much win any contest touching toes. So I'm like I'm nowhere near it, right? Mm-hmm. Growing up, that was a huge problem. Um, because when I was growing, my muscles were not keeping up. And they were pulling on my bones and I was always in pain. I was always in pain. I was always injuring myself from about 13, 14 on. Mm. And I remember, all I remember from ending my football career was going on about a six-month stretching regime where I stopped training. So I was in rep teams, stopped training, stretched and did everything for six months, went back to training. My first game back, I pulled my hamstring. And that was the, (laughs) the after six months of doing it, bro. Now, that was the last game I ever played. And I don't actually remember anything, I don't know, for months after that, right? But my, my mom tells me that I was blowing my eyes out for at least one, maybe two weeks solid. Wow. Now, I don't actually remember that. Interesting. Right? So
0: Normally traumatic events like that you do remember.
1: Or you, 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 you bury them so deep because they are mm-hmm. so tra- traumatic that you don't remember them but they're always in your subconscious coming back out. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. that for me was, a, was a, a point that I think has affected the rest of my life where the one thing that I wanted to do and the one thing that I was really good at and I felt as though everyone loved me for, I failed at. I think this was a story that I embedded into my subconscious. So that, I think that is what drove the need to, oh my God, well, I've got to make up for it in some other ways. I've got to be good at everything else, right? So, so that's a really important part to my story, and it's a level. So I love football now. I watch it. I, I actually went back and played two years ago in over thirty fives. Pretty much injured just about everything for the first four months. Got 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 back to strength. Started scoring, and we helped the team make the final. And then I rolled my ankle in training, and I was out of the gym for three months. And I stopped. I said, I can't do this, man. Like, it sounds like my daughter, right? She's like, she's turning
0: five next month, and and. Um Oh, uh, it's just adorable. She's She is, she, like, you see her kick a, a, a soccer ball or a football, right? You see her kick it, and she's five, and I'm looking at her going, holy cow, since when did you have such, like, you know, these massive mm. leg muscles? Like, she kicks the ball. Awesome. Like, I could like her, she's five. But if you were in, like, the, the 10-yard box, right? She kicks it well, be, well beyond that as a five-year-old
1: girl. Yeah, nice.
0: But the problem with her is every single day that she comes back because she is just very athletic. I seen, I've seen her run, and I'm like, she's the sporty one. You know, I'm really yeah. excited for her because yeah. I'm into sports, right? And the thing is, though, is that every single day she comes home from childcare, school, etc., she is covered in bruises, in scratches. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. she's very accident prone. Yeah. And
1: so like, I'm, I'm listening to your story too. And I'm like, you know, maybe it is like a thing, you know? Here's something that's funny. I'm the only person that I've ever met that's pulled a hamstring on the dance floor. Dancing. Oh, really? Twice. Not once, twice. Oh, man. And one time I was so, the first time I did, I was so drunk that I didn't even realize I did it. And I'm yeah, dancing yeah. and my, my leg stops. I can't do my moves anymore. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And I sat down and I felt, and I'm like, what the hell? And I, yeah, I tore it. I tore it on the dance floor, bro. And then the second time I did it, I was also drunk and I realized because I went, hang in a minute, my legs are, oh my God, have I done it again? (laughs) Right? So yes, I super injury prone. So when I went back and played the one season, um, I loved it. I I missed the the team, the camaraderie, the competitive side of it. It used to be super competitive, not as much anymore. Still am, but not quite to what it was. So I loved it, but I was out of the gym for three months recovering from the ankle injury and that. That took me took me back a lot you, you heard me talk about two or three days out of the gym imagine three months two and a half three months uh, so so that was so that's the end so I don't think I'll be playing again um, I definitely will when my, when I'm my own children I definitely will coach and the rest of it. but I'm a mad supporter I'm very knowledgeable on the on the subject I, I love I love football um, oh, soccer in, in Australia so just thought that'd be a one to, to connect on so I went from 16 so I went from soccer. And to starting my first business at sixteen, wow. and I and I took up I took up golf around the, just before that as well, so I, I got down to like a seven handicap in golf within two or three years at like nice. fifteen to seventeen or something. I regret giving it away because now I'm trying to get back down to there, but you know within a couple of years excelled. Um, I so foot, indoor soccer had finished up by then. Um, computer games I played a game called Counter-Strike
0: yeah yeah we're we're all familiar with that are you okay
1: (laughs) so so I went to the World Cyber Games in 2002 to um, represent Australia playing Counter-Strike wow but it's an interesting story I want to tell because it's a funny one right just this is this starts to stack up as you see how intense I am I go at everything that I do so I played Counter-Strike probably from about 16 Mm -hmm. so you can see soccer stopped and then we had Counter-Strike business golf there had to be something that i had to launch myself into right mm-hmm. and school was always there and i was always excelling at school i'm mm-hmm. blessed in that i was given that i nat- had that natural um academic intelligence that i could still do all, all sorts of stuff not have to study a lot still do well that was yeah, yeah, i was yeah, fortunate yeah. in that regard did double major maths and all that kind of stuff 98 and a half uai Right, So I excelled at all of that, but it was everything else I was doing at the same time, which is what I love. So, so Counter-Strike, basically, long story short, I'd play that at night. So instead of studying, I'd play that, I'd do LAN tournaments and stuff had back then. And then basically when uni started and I got accepted to join uh, University of New South Wales in Sydney, which had a super high UAI, but I chose to stay in um, ACT and camera because I'd started my first business and I wanted to be able to do multiple things, and I knew if I moved to Sydney, I had to look after myself, and everything else, I went, I'm probably not going to have the opportunity. So I stayed in Canberra, um, and so yeah, I was playing playing CS, but I gave it up because I went, hang on, I'm going to go to uni now. I've got to be a grown adult, and I stopped playing games. Long story short, but my, my clan that I left, they actually won the Australian qualifiers. They, they when they when I left, they brought in someone who was probably the best counter strike player at least in Australia, but he was a Chinese guy, mm. core fighter. His his tag was, um, <laughs> and so we they, they won the qualifier, which meant they got accepted to World Cyber Games. It was That's in Daejeon in Korea, in South Korea, two thousand two. And I remember getting a phone call. Um, and it was my first year uni, and it was ba- it was basically the exams were coming up at that time period. And the captain called me and said, do you wanna come to Korea? I'm like, what are you talking about? We won the qualifier, we wanna go, we're gonna go. All expenses paid, two week trip, by the way. Um, Do you wanna play? And I'm like, why, how? I haven't played for six months. He goes, well, qualifier, I can't go. He's not an Australian citizen. Uh And I go, oh shit. And I said, give me the dates. And I looked through and it was like, we had to leave. I had five assignments due the week we left. And when I got back the next day, it was the first exam. And I go, (laughs) I go, bro, I need to think about this. He goes, man, you got five minutes because I, I need to, the boss said I've got to keep calling until I find someone now. And I'm like, fuck it, let's do it. I'm in. <laughs> didn't, even, uh, didn't even think about it. I'm like, oh my God, all expenses paid? Because I'd had some trips paid for domestically, but it was like I played for, that was three years, three, four years at the time. Yeah. And I d- that was like, that's too good of an, ex- too good of an opportunity to give up so smashed out the assignments assignments went and that was one of the most amazing experiences of my life man going and seeing these professional proper professional gamers like this the the best guy at starcraft was being paid a million dollars a year in 2002 uh um the the german counter-strike team i met them they they were all professional so there was eight teams that were proper pro all they did was play counter-strike they lived in the same thing they had all the same gear they had you know because there was no wireless mouse right they had the mouse with the cord suspender so it would make the cord weightless and i'm looking at this guy. what the hell is that thing that's going up and down right they had all the gear and um wow court suspect do they still exist no because everything's wireless now like the bluetooth and that technology is good enough but back then it wasn't and i remember befriending the fifa 2002 australian player and i was like oh my god you're amazing you're gonna win it he lost like 18-1 in the in the second round like the difference in skills at this event was just insane man it was quake 3 arena counter-strike starcraft fifa see like i
0: played i played counter-strike too right and then that kind of led into Call of Duty. Like Call of Duty became a lot more popular, and in, into that, it's when, when Activision started, you know, putting that out into the market. I've actually got YouTube videos still on YouTube that where people claim that I was a hacker mm. because I would just be running around using a sniper as if it was an automatic assault rifle. Yeah, and I, I'd just be literally doing three sixties, no looking, bang, yeah, yeah. click. You know.
1: So uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, crazy yeah.
0: stuff, right? So I can I can kind of relate, yeah, visualize yeah. what you're talking about, going into these big arenas
1: and then comparing the skill level, you know. Yeah, I mean? and when every time I used to go on a public server in CS, I get a, I get accused of cheating, even <laughs> when I had my my handle <laughs> yeah. there and people knew who I was. I was one of the top players at that time. But I, for fun, what I do is go in as a random name. Yeah, and then yeah. the abuse. Oh my God, he's wall hacking and all the rest of it. Right? And then I changed my name to MHas, and they're like, "Oh, it's fucking MHas." Blah, blah blah. That was a good good boost for the ego back then to go. Oh, oh. my God, it's MHas. So so yeah. And world cyber games, man, amazing amazing experience. And we we did really well. We ended up I think we ended up coming ninth or tenth. I think That's we were cool. the the best non professional team and I'll uh, I'll I'll never forget the the last the last game we won the last match we won. By the way, there's Counter-Strike 2 out now and they had an That's event right. in Sydney that was that was streamed at uh, South by Southwest. Yes. But, yeah, I watched I actually watched it with my with my partner and I loved watching it and seeing seeing it cuz that was the, that was what I played in. We were we played at World Cyber Games on the main stage with stadium seating. And we're on the big screen. Exactly what they were doing. I was doing it in 2002 That's at right. our career. So it was just awesome. Gaming's huge. Now. way bigger now than what it was That's back then. Right. But over there was still huge. There was still people doing it professionally. But yeah, I remember the the last match that we won because we ended up losing to America in like the quarters or something, and they were proper professional. They my claim to fame probably in Counter Strike was um, so the AWP's the sniper rifle in Counter Strike. So yeah. I I Johnny R, he was the best opera uh, in the world. Yeah, and, and I'll yeah. never forget when I went shot and it was like, you know, M has kills Johnny R with the sniper rifles. I took a screenshot of that. Uh, so that was pretty cool. We lost to America. But in the, in the, the round before we played, um, I think it was Portugal and – yeah we end up going extra time. we had to come back from like 10 one down or something. we won every single round including the pistol round to go into overtime. we won five meal yeah, yeah, yeah. and just like oh my god, the euphoria of coming back from just completely dead to winning um, and then we saw them and they were all crying. they are like 15, 16 years old I think I was 19 at the time yeah. So oh, amazing experience man. so I such so so grateful to have had that experience at the end of spending three or four years gaming to not really have too much. Um, so that was pretty much the end of the Counter-Strike gaming. Um, and then I took up pool and snooker. Okay. Um, and of course excelled at that, got to number one ranked in ACT at one stage. Look at this high achiever in the room, guys. <laughs> but this, I'm, I love it. I'm, uh, yeah, this all leads, leads somewhere, right? Cause you're talking about, you know, business, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so yeah, pool and snooker. And I played that for probably seven or eight years, represented ACT eight times. Got got selected by reserve in the Australian team to go to Blackpool in England one year. And probably if there's any regret that I have, it's not taking that opportunity mm. um, because I didn't get another opportunity and I stopped playing. I actually kind of fell out of love of it at one stage. But yeah, excelled at that. So it's it's usually advisable not to play me for money at a pool table. Even though I don't play much anymore. Those skills stick with you. So did that. And also whilst I was building uh, my first business, which is the the one that you talked about exiting at 21. So I started that, um, that was called Canopy IT Solutions. Okay. So that was building fixing computers. Um, my business partner at the time was building websites. So we kind of were building that. He ended up dropping out um, not too long after we started it. So I was flying solo for a long period of time. Mm. And that's when Easy Employer basically, so I came out of uni and the idea was to commercialize Easy Employer. It was called HRM and back then. It was like, you know, we're gonna, We're going to, I'm going to build this, grow it, five years, be rich. (laughs) 17 years later, uh, hopefully exiting, but yeah, 17 years later. Um, And so what I ended up doing was... Selling the IT business or exiting canopy IT solutions because it was like everyone was looking at going, "Hey, in a minute, you're building this amazing piece of software." And two in 2006, to have a product that could automate rostering and send shifts to people on their phone, it was like a PDA back then. This was really innovative stuff. Like there was no YouTube, Google, whatever. This is online rostering, right? Mm. So it was like, "Hey, in a minute, you got to focus on that." Why are you fixing computers, building websites? so i ended up meeting someone who's been my business partner now for quite a while um jeff Olds, his name is, is a good friend of mine and mentor and so he ended up at the time um, we weren't really friends at the time but he ended up acquiring canopy it, it solutions taking it taking the whole database all the services all the clients and merging it into his um, and then we we're kind of friends ever since then we end up becoming business partners so the first exit i mean it's it, it definitely it wasn't seven figures or anything it's not like this <laughs> huge course. exit yeah, yeah, yeah. um but for me it was pretty it was pretty notable it was like you know i managed to get someone to give me money for a company that that i'd built straight out of straight out of uni i actually started a little bit a little bit earlier
0: i think even if you're making 50 grand from a company because yeah you know, anything you, you've got to work hard for all
1: that that work you know that uh, that money all year and now you're getting Right. Just of, just for the you fact know. that someone wants to buy something that's that you right, put all yeah. your blood, an sweat, and tears into is a compliment in itself, yeah. So, so uh, actually, my, the first business I started was 15, 16 as a sole trader, and then I kind of merged that into Canopy, sold that at 21, and then that's basically the easy employer journey really went full on from, from 21 onwards, yeah. Um, does that answer your question? I can't remember what the original question was now.
0: Yeah, we're covering some topics about like just kind of your journey yeah. and you know the early early days, how you got started and things like that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So, but where you, where did the software developing come
1: from? Yeah. So, the, okay, that's a good question actually. So that came from. Um, so my, my brother really...
0: All I've heard is sports. And yeah, no, I know. I love my me. sport, bro. <laughs> you can't tell me you learn software at a pool
1: table, right? Like, yeah, true. I mean? No. Tell me. Where, where does Definitely that come into not. The equation? Definitely not. But I do love my sport. I love the, the golf, the football, Formula One, all the rest. I can talk about that stuff all day. Um, the, the software, so... Growing up, I had an older brother and he was always smarter, faster, stronger and better than me.
0: I'll just interject. Yeah. The reason why I want to ask this is because software development has become more popular now than it was yeah, it maybe when you now. were. And, and so the thing is, is that there's probably like a, a couple of people. I love I love people that have kids that are listening to this, this podcast as well. There's been a couple of people that have sent through emails, things like that, that are like, oh, I, I listened to this podcast and I love how you talked about kids because I've got kids. And so a lot of them, they're now starting to teach coding in school programs and parents Amazing. are unsure whether that's a good thing because it is costing money. Don't get me wrong. It's not the school paying for it. They have to pay for it. And it's like 250 bucks a term, which is great because only an hour or two with a big group of kids. But, you know, they're, they're sort of looking at that going, is this a good investment? Yes.
1: Great! It's a good investment, particularly now. Back then, maybe not so much. But back now, everything is driven by software, technology, AI, blockchain is the future. I've mentioned that. So, developers are in massive demand. Good developers are hard to find. I know because I've got some, and I'm trying to find more. Right? And let me tell you, we, we've got one even ourselves, and
0: he's he has his name's Andrew. I won't say his last name so people don't go head hunting. But <laughs> but uh, he is like I'm. I'm talking. I need a proofing system so we create content we need our customers to proof it these other apps online are charging six seven hundred bucks a month i'm thinking this is just google cloud storage and a unique you know campaign id and we're talking like half a
1: day it's up and running yeah well you gotta make sure you look after those guys because <laughs> they're hard to find right let
0: me tell you i, I, I definitely take
1: care yeah, of yeah sure. so just to answer if there's any parents watching whether it's a good investment yes even if they don't end up doing it as a career the skills that you learn and the logic that you learn to be able to code well can be applied to a lot of things so I definitely consider i definitely would suggest doing it so my so i always looked up to my brother because again um I always—I don't know how young I was when I wanted to start achieving things, but you know, I mean, being a competitive footballer from nine months kicking a ball probably started pretty early. My brother's very smart; he was always faster, stronger, better, everything. And then he was like eight or nine years older, right? So I looked up to him. I wanted to copy everything that he did, and he was always into computers. So this is back, you know, with the—you—you be you too too young to know, like the old dial-up modems. Oh, I do. I do. Do you remember remember, some of that? Trying to download a song and mum picks up the phone to make a phone call. It's like, mum, you're going to cut the song off. So I would have only been like
0: maybe four or five years old, but I've got a photographic memory. So I can actually memorize. I actually know and I can recall moments of time when I was that young. Yeah. So I do remember that.
1: Fun memories, (laughs) man. So my brother studied computer engineering at at uni. So I learned a lot from him. Um, He didn't do so much to do the coding side. But, you know, we were always doing cool stuff. Like, the one I remember when he installed Winamp on my computer, which was the first app on a computer that could play music. Yeah, I remember Winamp. Yeah. yeah it was yeah. like, oh, my God. And then we, we worked out how to do it over the over the LAN. We had to run a cable through the house because the modem was in his room. And just really good memories about computers and technology. And he got into all the what's known as zero-day wares groups. So we'd get all the games and the movies and everything the day they were released. Yeah, like he got into the top community. So anything that was coming out on the shelves, we already could download it, and it would take sometimes a week to download, of right? Because things yeah, are so slow. Gigabytes, you know. <laughs> you know, and um, and doing like um, online gaming, but we would connect our modem to someone else's modem and just do one-on-one gaming and stuff like. Just so uh, it's crazy stuff now when you talk to people about I mean, the that's like, now. Yeah, even
0: even doing those those reverse, you know, those Cat six sorry the Cat five cables, but yeah. they, they're they're reversed. I can't remember what they're called. They to connect two Xboxes
1: yep. to play at one time. You had to connect this first yeah. cable as to well. It's a cross, right? uh, crossover or something. Yeah, yeah. crossover yeah. cable. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so that to do a direct connection without using a router um, or a switch, correct. you have to do you have to cross it but over. But everyone's
0: yeah. got a router or a switch.
1: And yeah, a pretty decent Wi-Fi. In their home yeah, these days, yeah, it. the young people these days have no idea of the struggles of oh, the man, the I blue understand. screens of death and all this kind oh, of stuff, yeah. man. It's hilarious. Um, so, so I always looked up to my brother and so he got me into computers and then a lot of the stuff that he used to do was through MIRC. There was an app called Merck and it Mm -hmm. was, IRC is called Internet Relay Chat. So it was the first chat thing where you could chat to each other and there were channels. So it's a bit like Slack, if anyone's used Slack or Discord or anything like that, that was kind of what it was back then. Um, and so there was an app called Merck and you could actually program in Merck. And so I started developing, I think it was about 11 or 12 years old coding in Merck and I'd build like scripts to boot people out of the channel and when they join, it would boot them again. And um, I was doing, I was writing this, anyone who listened to this that knows back in that day, I was writing net splits to take over channels. So these (laughs) servers, like a server would split from the others and then all of the people would leave the channel. If you joined this server, you could get opera, op status on the channel. You could own the channel. And then when it merged, you could actually write it through and take over channels. Yeah. And it was all – there was ICMP flooding. There was all this stuff. I was more of a hacker back then than I have been since. I didn't know it, what, any, what any of this stuff was back then. I was just playing around, tinkering, coding. Yeah. So that's really it all started. And so the best, the best advice I can give parents to get kids into whatever is – they they need to have a natural knack, a natural desire to want to learn. So I learned by just mucking around at, at home on the computer before I ever did anything formally. Um, Make it fun, yeah. And it's it's got a, if they've got an interest in it, if they want to know how things work and software, just show them, give them some paths online, and, and they can just start playing like, around with themselves. I feel
0: like some good pathways that are gamified as well is like Minecraft, Roblox, games like those. Because it it is, Absolutely. there are there are certain elements of it that require coding, yep. so you know, and you can build your own universes and, and and things like that as well, right? So, you know, I think games yeah. like that because I know my daughter, she's obsessed with Roblox, it's you cow-ish. know, and things like that, and so it is. It's it's a it's also a developer, an open source developer platform that yep. people then can go and contribute. Yeah. So and she's already you know, there's certain things that she's saying, you know, in just general conversation
1: where I'm kind of going, how do you know that? Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So, it's cool. So, yeah. so, um, empower her with that, you know, and just see where that goes. So, so that's basically so when I, when I, so I've hired and fired a lot of developers over the years. And one of the things that stands out, the brilliant ones from still the good ones, is what they've put in in their own time. Do they actually Correct. code stuff in their own time? Do they contribute to open source projects? Correct. What have they contributed to? Look at their GitHub, see what they've done personally. They're always the best developers. They've been tinkering and stuff like that. That's so, that's how, right. so that's how I started. And I remember then at, um, at high school, they had computers and I built Monopoly with with my other partners. I actually recreated Monopoly the whole game. Coded it with all the pictures. Wow. You could play a whole game. That was my that was the assignment. Some people did very basic stuff, man. Um, and, and I coded Monopoly with, with my, my partners. See, that look time. Not like me
0: with marketing, right? So growing up in the field, like, you know, in that marketing field, I remember this, like my high school, whilst I had a lot of challenges with a lot of teachers – the ones that did see the talent would then go and get me to do all these graphics designs for posters for the school. Um, They would have me do all because I was my first business when I was 15 as well, 15, 16 around that time was around live entertainment, music production, DJing, gliding, things like that. So they'd get me to do the school disco and believe me, I'll show you photos later. That thing was fucking insane for a school disco. It was like, what? So... You you'd look at that and say, that wasn't a disco, mate. <laughs> I swear to you, that's why you got to look at it. But um, I, I kid you not. So I found that I put a lot of marketing stuff into practice. So they had me doing events, event management, and they were also doing like getting me to do the management of their social media for the school as well. So there's all these little things for me where I had a lot of exposure early and I was doing that through like a nonprofit uh, community organization as well. I truly believe to every single person that's listening and I'm sure you would agree that what if you if you sort of explore your children's interests now early, especially if they're going into high school and you start that at age 12, 13, and then keep working at that between that age up until they they leave school, they're going to be very, very educated and ambitious young people ready to go out into the workplace, whether it be in their own business or whether it be working for someone else. Crafting and nurturing that that passion early is going to be so, so important because you you just said it yourself, between the both of us, we we were nurtured in those fields at a very young age and you look at us now and now we exceed at them. You know, we can walk into a room and and you know, you could be talking to a professor um and you might be able to, you know, outrank them in knowledge. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I've had that experience personally. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's the message too, right? Is is explore these things early and these passions early yeah. and, and learn how to identify those types of yeah, what do you think like for a programmer what do you think those characteristics or traits would be at a young age
1: so logical logical thinking um so if you see that they're good with numbers um then they're probably going to be a good developer mm. um like the the cu- curiosity about how things work i think um i was always interested in like because my dad was a carpenter so he'd always like pull things apart fix things i was like oh how do you fix that and so that that that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, the development. I think the the logic the logic side of it. It's really just. I think if if I was when I have kids, it'd be looking at, are they are they curious about how things work, not just using stuff. So if they're using the software, and it's like, oh, so how does you know how does this work, or something like that. That's going to show that they have an interest in their the the inner workings, the mechanics of a software product, right. Um, but you've got it. Programming is something you you literally either love it or hate it. There's there's really no middle ground. Some people absolutely hate it. I, I love it. I just I don't. The reason why I don't do it anymore. And I bet if I if someone gives me it and I start looking into it and doing it, I'll get hooked on it and I'll lose a whole two three days in there. I just it's not the best use of my time anymore. It's uh, there are much smarter people around me. Yeah. But but I still I still miss those days. Like half of Easy Employer I built. I built because my when I went when I went in with my business partner he left so there was a period of time I was by myself so I coded a lot of that application which ended up being um, a, a detriment later because I didn't know how to write scalable code coming straight out of yes. uni See, so it's, that's it's, always the challenge right yeah
0: is the scalable code side of things you, like. Cause and this is what a lot of people won't understand. I'm glad we're talking about this, right? <laughs> you know what, if you're out there, you run like a, a, an app development company or anything like that, and you're trying to explain this to your customers, usually this as not yeah. clear, but let me tell you, um, is the fact that there are so many ways, everyone thinks that coding is all the same. Mm. Like to, to make this light turn on, mm-hmm. it's the same code. It's not, it is far from it. Everyone has their own different yeah. styles. And sometimes it can be a right royal bloody spaghetti yeah. to try and determine and work out what someone else has written. Correct. Um, and so, you know, especially for you, one of your biggest challenges I'd, I'd imagine is having and hiring all these developers that then get into a situation where there's, there's friction between how they would do it, how someone else would do it and how you do it.
1: Yeah, there's a bit yeah. of that. I think the biggest challenge that we had with scaling Easy Employer was, uh, well, two challenges. I didn't, I didn't enjoy marketing. I marketing. I didn't know that we weren't good at it, and we really didn't get enough external help. That excuse me, that hindered the scalability. The other one was the code, mm. um, and the big thing was I didn't write documentation.
0: Yeah, that's the because I was the challenge. only. Coach. Yeah. So
1: I just I remember when I first started, we didn't even have version control, right? So when I had my first employee, who's still the company now, he'll see it through to, to sale. He would actually so my my parents' basement, which ended up being my bedroom for a while, was the office. So he would drive, and we'd have three people in what was basically a bedroom. Um and we would be coding and so he would change a file and would overwrite my changes and I'm like, oh what what the hell? So I didn't even I didn't even use version control to start with. And some people look and go, Well, you're an idiot. Yeah, because I was just me coding for the first 12 to 18 months. So no document no documentation, not even code documentation, let alone um, ab- abstract documentation and proper design planning. So although although I learned that at school at uni, I didn't I wasn't you putting into place. So it just ended up creating a Frankenstein that made it really difficult for people coming in to understand what was going on. Things are breaking things are all over the place. So that caused huge problems. Even even to even to today, like seventeen years later, the team is still reverse engineering code that I wrote. They're like like the award interpreter. I wrote the uh, an award interpretation engine that would take Australia's payroll system, really complicated, and work out how to automate payroll overtimes, loadings, allowances. Brilliant. And end up it, it was brilliant in what it did, but the code was hard to follow, wasn't functionalized well, wasn't abstracted as, that as well as it could have yeah. been, didn't have documentation. So no one really understood. Everyone struggled trying to reverse engineer it. So it was brilliant, but because it wasn't coded brilliantly, I'll, I'll admit that, it was hard for other people to understand, but more importantly, didn't have the documentation around it. So that was a huge lesson that came out of that whole process is if i am going to code needs to needs to have really good documentation or more importantly the teams that i lead for any of the projects i'm on or advise make sure that they have the right processes documentation continuous integration for testing there's there's it's all best practice now like there's 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 actual methodologies that you can copy but back then when i was starting there was none of that there's
0: like, full libraries
1: now there's libraries exactly there's frameworks ways. there's all sorts of stuff but back then there was no frameworks there was nothing so
0: and i think you've uncovered something that's actually really important to mention too is is actually having your own intellectual property so you know with with yours you developed a system that would you know would do all the hard legwork when it came to determining award rates you know overtime pay things like that right and so it's and it's it's really interesting because for our launch day amplify program that we're running i'm actually building a system right now that determines your credibility score so cool. you know, what is the current level of health so based on an entire formula, um, you know, of of a lot of different factors, whether it be how many news articles you have about you, how many posts, what your engagements like, how many views, what's, what's that period over that time. So we're looking at connecting all these different sources to create a credibility score that measures your credibility, your trustworthiness, how much authority you have. There's a whole six different points to measure, Cool. Um, which is awesome, mm. right? But it, it, it just emphasizes, see, you've, you know, you're building software or you built software that fixed a really big problem for a lot of people, right? And I'll admit you probably didn't know how to market it properly either. Did you or?
1: Well, we, we got reasonably good at it, at um, but it, we definitely missed out on a lot of, well, we could have dominated a couple of industries if we, if we knew how to market better or we got the Absolutely. right people in to help.
0: What's the value? Mm. You know, what is it that you're giving to that person? This is what I love, right? Yeah. So a lot of missed opportunities. And for those that are listening, this is going to be really good for you. Work out something unique that you can create uh, that solves a really big problem. Even if the core of your business in, is in other areas, find something that just is a, one of those real nice entry points that covers a lot of those topics and and protect that. Mm-hmm. You know, Don't just protect it, but also look at maybe even licensing it as well because you know what someone else is going to come to the market to try and you know create something similar instead of trying to compete with someone i I, you can probably provide your opinion on this but i always say why don't you go and say to them hey you can white label this yeah and you know we'll set it up in a certain way that you can license this and plug it into yours and then that way you become the provider of that software that cuts out all the hard work that they have to do to start their business to compete yeah. with you end up making
1: money from your competitors you know yeah yeah so we so i actually before i before i kind of stepped down as ceo of easy employer that's where i was taking the award interpreter so we were actually spinning that out of the, out of easy employer and making it as a white labeled version that and so we ended up having a couple partners using it but in the end, we it wasn't the fastest way to get to to exit. That would that would have had to be another four or five year project. And we were like, look, we want to exit as soon as we can. So we don't flagging that. But yeah, absolutely. If there's something, if you can take your secret source, your unique selling point, your differentiator, and and make it standalone and in such a way that someone else can easily use it, then that's that's ripe for licensing, white labeling, that kind of stuff. Um,
0: and you can still run your core business. And I,
1: I'd just be yeah. looking
0: at licensing that another one yeah
1: yeah it's just another revenue stream you know which you know know all about
0: why why would you you know you go to all these people that are about to try and compete with you and you say why would you spend two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars building that you can just use ours for ten thousand yeah
1: months. and if you do <laughs> you and if you do that well that'll end up being the crown in your in your empire right that's right and um and then so you'll end up you'll end, they'll end up being clients of yours and even then eventually like your marketing company whatever is competing might end up being something that's Lot, lot lower on the scale when you sell it or you give it up right that's right. so yeah it's a unique ip so at the moment uh we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna you're gonna ask me a question on what comes next right because i'm gonna talk about my next software project but that's maybe exactly not maybe right. not out of turn
0: absolutely <laughs> well so it's it's funny you like you know we switch places now you're the host i love it you're <laughs> reading my mind it's great um Yes, that was pretty much my next question to you was going to be what comes next from here? Like, so we've done all these great things, Mm. you know, we've talked about a lot of the great things you're doing in terms of how many people you've helped make millions of dollars so far. Um, I'm hoping to be 451, by the way, out of the 450, we'll talk about that afterwards. Come to the
1: next webinar. I'm
0: keen. I'm really keen. Uh, You know, we've talked about your mission to help a million people achieve financial freedom by 2032. That's brilliant, right? So twenty thirty two is not too far away, mate. I hope you realise. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm really, really keen to see how you're gonna approach that one. So there's all these great things that we've covered about you and where you're going and where have you been so far. Mm. What's next? What's what's yeah. this next thing that's that's in the pipeline for you?
1: So Bob, I wanna I wanna answer that in two there's two things, right? First firstly is around raising awareness of what's going on in the world at the moment. Okay. So um, war, this, you know, yeah, things like that. Are we talking war? Well, Are we talking- I'm gonna, I'm going That's part of it. And we could do a whole podcast on on that. I <laughs> don't want to dive too much into that on this one, but what I'll what I'll say is, be careful what you hear, read, and see in mainstream media and all the rest of it, because most of the time, it's not the real story that's happening behind the scenes. Mm. Um, so I don't watch mainstream media. I concur anymore. with you
0: completely. Yeah. I have not touched the the headline news. I had my daughter tell me yesterday, it was hilarious. We we're sitting at a restaurant, Enzo's, Cucina. They're, they're great there. we near where we are. And so I had uh, my mate that owns a restaurant and comes around. <laughs> my daughter turns around, we're talking about the wind. I don't know if you're like last night, mate. Mm. No, not last night. Sorry, the night before. Yeah, the wind active. was like horrible. we were talking people losing, you know, parts of their roof. And it's like yeah. a mini tornado. So we're talking about it. My daughter jumps in and says, yeah, 3,500 homes. And I'm sitting and I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that because I'm just not tuned into the mainstream media at
1: all. Yeah, because it's all negative. It's all negative news. There's nothing positive, and most of the time, it's just to feed their agendas, and it's not that useful, man. So, I don't, I don't watch it. I don't watch a or read anything. I usually hear from stuff from my partner or someone else. That's right. But um, I just want to zone in a little bit to the financial system because that's really what what we specialize in. I'm
0: I'm all ears here, right? Yeah, yeah. I want to learn this too. Right? Yeah. So for me, like, okay, I'm I'm doing okay with what I'm doing, but I'm also thinking
1: about how I can how can I make more yeah, money. Yeah right now how can i build more financial so a lot of costs? a lot of people come to us to learn digital assets so they can make more money because because mm. we, we've demonstrated that we've got the results i'm doing it coaches doing it members doing it it's so much bigger than that okay so a lot of what we do now is just the awareness of what's going on so the, the the current financial system that we've all been conditioned to accept okay there's a reason why i call it the financial matrix We've been conditioned and brought up in it to accept that this is how it works and we're just a person in the in that financial matrix is going about our day feeding the machine. Okay. Mm. So the system has been built by a certain really we don't know exactly how far it goes, but it's a group of elite families and, and other types of institutions to benefit them at the expense of everyone else. Mm. Now it all it's been going on for centuries, this kind of control over finances and stuff like that but if i just look at the modern reality say the last kind of 120 years or so which is really the u.s domination the u.s dollar domination uh, because it goes way back we could go way back but when the when the federal reserve was formed in 1913 so this this was a result there was a lot of kind of bank runs and stuff that were happening before that and the government was like the governments were like we've got to put some legislation some regulation in place so that this doesn't happen right it's a very group of very powerful families, uh, and I'm not going to name them on a public podcast but because you'll know what a lot of them are. They all came, they all came together and had a, a meeting um, on Jekyll Island. There's a really book, good book where you just get the Blinkist or the audio book, probably the yeah. Blinkist, it's a big fat one, called The Creature of Jekyll Island, and it talks about the formula of the Federal Reserve. So the wealthy families come together and basically came up with a way to set the legislation and propose it to the governments because they didn't trust the government to come up with their own. And that was all designed to protect their interest. It was all designed to pre- protect the interests of the wealthy families, mm-hmm. and that was it. Not about helping anyone else, okay? Mm-hmm. So they took that, they lobbied the governments, the governments accepted, it and it all came in. The Federal Reserve was born, which is not federal, and it's not a bank, okay? But it dictates all the monetary policy all over the place. So that was the first thing that basically took power away from the people. There's so many other ones but the next major one was in 1971 when they removed gold from backing the US dollar. Mm-hmm. So up until that point the US dollar you could go you could go and cash one US dollar and you whatever 100 US dollars and get some gold back. So it was all there was a certain amount of dollars because there was a certain amount of gold. Of course. Okay? So that's, that was a very stable system. That's why things flourished after World War II up until 1971. When you, if you look at all of the charts and the reporting, everything from 1971, that's when stuff started to go downhill. That's when the majority of the value of the dollar, so that the U.S. dollar lost 97% of its purchasing power since 1913. Wow. Since the Federal Reserve came in, 97% of its purchasing power has gone. Right. Wow yeah
0: it's worth three percent of what it would
1: have been correct years ago today. yeah and so and I'll, I'll talk about inflation and stuff like that so 1971 basically it was the gold was removed so now all of a sudden there was no limitation to the amount of money that could be in supply and when there's no limitation to a commodity that can just be created to bring wealth do you think humankind is going to abuse that hmm of course they are. The temptation is too is too great to not be able to just create more money out of thin air to enrich yourself. Could you, could you say that you wouldn't do that? Because I can't say I wouldn't do that. One hundred percent would absolutely. If you could just do it, turn <laughs> turn on a money printer tomorrow, just give yourself an extra fifty grand to go and buy a new car. It's pretty hard, pretty tempting to not do that, right? Mm. Okay. So people who kind of judge the powerful families and all the rest of it for it i'm like well i'd probably do the same thing you know maybe not uh, if it once it starts to void morals and values like it starts to actually hurt other people uh, that's where it crosses the line for me yeah so so that happened and then basically 2008 global financial crisis came and then you had the first round of quantitative easing after that and that's when money printing really started and it was like six trillion or something was printed in the six years after the global financial crisis. And look, if that didn't happen, actually, the markets were already over leveraged. That was probably the chance that we had to clear out all the bad leverage and just start again and build something that was robust. That didn't happen. They chose to pass legislation to print more money. That started flooding the market. And that's really when inflation, all this stuff, started to get out of control. Mm-hmm in 2000 it all went rampant and so we this is a lot this is a lot of what we present in our webinar so we've got a webinar called the future of money i think the next one's on the 23rd of november we do it basically once a month where we teach people on what's what's happened in the past and and what's what we think is going to happen in the future what the future of money is for the people which is crypto bitcoin decentralized finance all the rest of it right so we -hmm. talk about all this and we show charts and in 2020 over 55% of the world's US dollar supply, so more than half, was created out of thin air in two years. So US dollars been around for 120 years. In two years, more than 55% of it came into circulation. Now, if you flood the market with a commodity, let's say like oil or rice, if you just flood it, what happens to the price of that commodity? It goes down. Goes down. There's more supply. It's less. It's it's worth less. Correct. This is what's happening to our money. This is what's been happening for quite some time. The money's been flooded into the system. The value of that money goes down. So of course the price of things are going to go up. Right? Because the value of the money comes down.
0: And then your wages increase, but then you feel like you're getting more money, but you're not
1: actually. Everyone mm-hmm. feel like yeah, they're, yeah. they're getting wealthier, but they're not, because you're losing up to fifteen to twenty percent a year at the moment. So they they then artificially report inflation or CPI. It's like it's not, it's not six or seven percent a year at the moment it's much higher in some places 15 20 even in the western world so everyone's maybe getting a little bit more money and asset prices going up but they when you compare it to the value of the dollar when you look at how much value it's lost mm. no one's going anywhere right it's only the top one percent that's really getting wealthier everyone else might be getting a little bit that even the real the people who are really doing well are not growing their purchasing powers there's a difference between the the, how much money you have and what it can buy mm. right you go in the supermarket now you pay like 10 bucks for a loaf of bread you know whatever it is You get, 10 years ago you're paying like a dollar two dollars right that's right so your money's not going as far and this is putting pressure on a lot of the middle class to the point where they're all starting to become lower class because their wages and the money they get is not keeping up with inflation okay yeah. So this is, a lot, this is a lot of the knowledge that we bring to our, uh, our, our education and we bring to the people that come to our webinars. In fact, for me, I've, I've been quoted to say that inflation is theft and debt is how the thief enters your financial home. Hmm. Okay, so we've been brought up in what's known as a debt-driven financial system. We're all encouraged to have debt. We have credit cards, you have mortgages, home loans, personal loans, car loans, business loans, just get credit, just get credit on everything. And then you're now using the most powerful, um, the most powerful tool for, for financial wealth called compound interest against you. Mm. So I teach about this as well. I've created a calculator on how to achieve financial freedom. It's all codified and uses compound interest. And it blows people's mind when I run them through it in like two minutes. They're like, oh my God. And so now do you understand why 99% of people will never reach financial freedom? Because they're stuck paying back debt then they'll always ever, forever be stuck. And it's in the banks, it's in every, all the financial institutions' best interest to make sure that you're stuck paying debt, paying back your debt, because they just keep making more money and you're a slave to the system for the rest of your life. Mm. Now, this and many more aspects is part of what we call the financial matrix, okay? So people who get this, most of them, if you talk to them, who have known this for a while, they don't have any debt, they don't even have credit cards. I have a credit card, I pay it off every month, I get the points. But a lot of people who, who know about this, they don't have that. So so we spend a lot of time educating around that so that people understand that they they're working within a system that has been designed to do this it's been designed to trap you so that you can never get out of it right so this is why we use as analogy the financial matrix and we say that you can, you need to break out of the financial matrix and then create your digital path to prosperity okay and this is this is our line this is we got a, a one day workshop called digital path to prosperity where we teach people all this we we teach them the minimum they need to know about cryptocurrency in order to be able to use it as a money-making vehicle. But here's where it gets. Um, by the way, at that workshop, they everyone walks away with a passive income strategy, earning money for them by the time they leave at the end of the day. That's sick. we actually did just this did is, one. This is a free webinar. This one's paid, but we're literally we're doing tickets for like ninety-seven dollars. I think it's going to go up to one hundred ninety-seven. That's cheap, cheap as because it literally can change people's lives when they get this knowledge and they get introduced to how they can create wealth in a system that the governments, and institutions can't control. That's the thing I love about cryptocurrency and blockchain. So yeah, we just did one on the weekend. Then we had like 35 people or something and majority of people walked away with it. There's a We do coaching sessions if we have to help some other people. So It's a really cool day. We've done it four days now. So if you come to the Future Money webinar, then you'll have an opportunity to join the one day workshop and I encourage you to do it. It's a, it's a great day. Um, and then from there, people choose to work with us for twelve months and stuff like that. That's I'm the process. Because you know,
0: and I, the thing is for me as well is that um, a lot of people that are in my circle, they they tell me that I'm a bit of an inspiration for them to you know go harder, do more. Do you know what I mean? Not necessarily more things that are unproductive, but do more with themselves. You know, make more money. And so for me, the thing is is that like, let's just say you know, there's a conference coming up maybe i've got some pre tickets or i can get some pre tickets for example like there's one coming up next week in melbourne and i bring everyone with me i'm like yep yeah. i'm calling out my accountant angelo who i've been with since i was like 16 years old mm-hmm. 17 years old right you know uh, yeah, i'm calling this person that person like all those people that are in my circle. i'm like you're coming that's it ticket sorted cool. you know what i mean so yeah. it wouldn't just be me
1: Coming, Michael. I've been bringing everybody. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know we actually encourage mean? you. like you can bring one guest, and if you upgrade to VIP, you can bring two guests. So that's how we do it. Yeah. You see what I'm saying. So, I, I, like, yeah. If I'm coming along to this, I'm bringing people. Good man. <laughs> you know Come I mean? along, and then if you become a client, we have a partner program, so you even can get some commission if you refer people, whatever. Right. We've got some people. Basically, our whole thing with Breakout Solutions to help create multiple passive income streams that yeah. you can compound and grow wealth over time. And I've created a system around that. That's. And that's what we teach, right? So one of the passive income streams for our advocates or our partners is they've got money rolling in just from bringing people in to help them achieve financial freedom. So everyone wins. Some of them are earning thousands of dollars a quarter just, just by bringing people in, right? So it's pretty cool from that perspective. But I talked about, not but, and I talked about how we bring p- people come to us because of um, they want to make money. But the real thing that um, it's important for people to understand is where the financial matrix is going, mm. okay? And how much control that they're going to have over everything. because the one thing that have the governments and institutions and and the elites haven't been able to really control for everyone is any, everyone's individual finances. they They can use a tool like inflation to to basically steal, especially excess inflation, that's theft. It's taking money. so inflation is also known as the hidden tax, okay? Mm-hmm. It takes money from the average person and moves it to the top of the chain. It's so exactly how the mechanism has been built. This is all by design. Okay, it's not like mm-hmm. something that's just happened. It's been designed this way to move the wealth to the people at the top, right?
0: Someone had to write these documents,
1: you know? Yeah. Well, there's very smart people that have that have engineered this stuff. But this happened over centuries. It's not it's happened in the last hundred years. It's it's happened. All the all the families have been building this over over time, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So if you if you just stop for a sec, if you knew that you were work, if you if you knew you were in a system that was designed to screw you at every single point. Would you not be motivated to try and find a way to do something differently?
0: I definitely would be motivated. Yeah.
1: So that's why we start with the education around the financial matrix. Um, so I'm just fiddling. No, you're good. You're and good. <laughs> and and why? So people go, holy shit! Like, okay, all right. I need I need to know how I can get out of this thing, right? And honestly, the only solution there's only there's only really two two things: precious metals, really, um, and crypto. And Bitcoin is the main store of wealth over time. Every Bitcoin is the, only, is the only guaranteed coin that's going to last over time because all of the infrastructure that's behind it, the mining, all the rest of it, the big powers behind it. So that's the one that's going to hold your wealth over time. But we use uh, mechanisms like decentralized finance to create our wealth and then we move it and we move it to Bitcoin to store the wealth. Or sometimes we move it to the US dollar if the market's volatile. This is all stuff that we teach, but we also automate this stuff as well. Because a lot of people are like oh roll roll their eyes and go oh, I don't understand any of that. You don't actually need to understand any of that when you work with us. That's one of our differentiators. But here's what's really important as to why people, why I think everyone needs to be having some of their wealth outside of the traditional financial system in crypto. Okay, have you heard of central bank digital currencies? Mm-hmm. Okay, do you know do you know what they are? No idea. Okay. No, done enough research. So any 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 technology or any tool can be used for good or evil. Okay, blockchain technology. I don't know exactly who created it. I mean, Satoshi Nakamoto created Bitcoin. We don't exactly know who that is. But the idea is it's supposed to be a freedom technology, okay? It's supposed to empower the individual um, to be able to take control of their money, create wealth and not, and not have anyone confiscate it from them, okay? Um, and do so in such a way that they don't have to rely on any central party or other institution in the middle. I'll give you an example, right? If I come up to you in person now and I buy something from you, I give you cash, I give you cash from me to you there's no one in the middle brokering that transaction it's peer-to-peer it's direct one to one to one to one right so no one knows about the transaction it's private and i don't there's no one taking a cut in the middle of it whatever right so basically bitcoin and blockchain technology is a way to achieve that across space and time digital version of that private private cash situation that you normally yeah, so across basically across space, okay? Across space, I mean across the world whatever. It's a
0: good point because there's a lot of older people that might be listening here that might be like, oh, you know, cash is king. And you, you might sort of look at it and say, yeah, but you know what? Crypto is also a well, method of cash, but in a digital format. So the, the the actual there's similarities between cash there is and crypto, right? So and that's that's kind of where Maybe a lot of those people that are probably listening in, watching the video, whatever it might be, where they can relate
1: to that. Maybe that's actually. It, actually really and important. here's the other thing, though. You're right. Cash is king, but there's two reasons why it's not king anymore. One, if you're holding stuff in cash, cash assets, you're losing up to twenty percent a year of its value. Mm. Okay. Now, got a bill well, in my wallet. Let me. I usually carry. Yeah. Here we go. Okay. So at 15, at 15 to 20% a year, right, we look at this, okay, three years, three to four years, that $100 bill is worth half. In three years, at that rate. Yeah. So if you're holding these in your bank account or not earning, not earning money for you or, for, God forbid, under your bed or something like that, like some of the other people might be doing because they don't trust the system, yeah. in three, four years, you're losing half of your purchasing power. This will still show up as a $100 bill, but it's going to be worth half as much. And potentially we might get something like called hyperinflation, um, if they keep having to print more money to, to fund the wars. Because a lot of it, when you when you dig into this stuff, man, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, especially on a public broadcast. But when you go down the rabbit hole, money is printed to fund the wars, and the people who fund the wars are the ones who profit from it. So they make more money, and it devalues everyone else's assets mm-hmm. unless you're in that top one percent. Is a hundred dollar bill for me, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you could call me out there. <laughs> I was like, I usually carry multiple, but I've only got <laughs> one in there at the <laughs> moment. I spent oh, so some. You know, if there was more than one, you might share. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I like to keep one in my wallet. No, it made me think because I like to keep one in my wallet at all times because it's a psychological thing. It's like every time I look in my wallet, I've got a green. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah so it's yeah. like, oh, I'm, wealth, I'm wealthy. You know what I mean? It's, it's actually it's okay. been proven as a little trick to, to, to help you. And I've got usually have um, others, others so in there as well. I don't even well. have a wallet, dude. Oh, don't you? Yeah. No, I don't even have a wallet. Well, it's so. always good to have cash because you never know what's what's going to happen, right?
0: Like, so I'm I probably like my next upgrade. So I've got a Toyota right now, RAV4, probably going to go move to Tesla. That oh, means I can drop the keys as well. So yeah, I'm, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Being completely keyless.
1: But anyway, next thing sorry, you'll be putting be... a chip in your hand so you don't need anything. About that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this is where this stuff... <laughs> this is. I, I planted that on purpose, pun intended, because of where I'm going with this, right? Oh, really? Yeah.
0: So I've, I've got a. So, well, it's, I've removed it, but I, I actually had an implant, an NFC implant into my yeah. thumb. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So is that, like, okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, well, down. the have, have you heard of Class Swab from the World Economic Forum, the chairman of the World Economic Forum? I have not heard of that. So, so that's I one of the very, the very scary institutions that um, that don't go through an election process that are dictating what's happening in the world. Okay. There's a lot of, there's a lot of other ones, IMF and a bunch of others, right? So they want to basically have implants in everyone, eventually, it's, it's all about, it's all about control, bro. It's all about control, power, greed, and all the rest of it, right? When you mm-hmm. dig into it, when you dig into it. Here's the other thing I wanted to say about cash. Cash is being eliminated, slowly, going to a cashless society. So all of this, all of this technology, you won't, you won't have cash anymore. They'll ban it. So then how do you then have privacy with your transactions? What do you mean they will better? They're already banning you from having more, more than 10000 on you at once. Well, there, you try and walk you into know. a bank and get your money out. You can't even, they're not usually holding cash, can't get it out. They ask you a million questions. So this is all part of the agenda to crack down and remove cash and move to a cashless society. That's right. The other thing that they need to be able to properly, properly achieve that is the right technology. And the right technology is going to be using blockchain technology, but not to create a transparent open technology like bitcoin that can't be cheated no one can control it it's transparent whatever it's so they can have ultimate control and and domination over everyone
0: why the banks are now bringing out their own oh you can have your crypto portfolio with us the banks have actually bought into it I'm, i'm sharing private information now but the banks i won't say which bank but i have knowledge of banks buying crypto yeah, to their assets, into you know shell companies
1: that they own. Yeah, but simultaneously, they're banning people from sending money from bank accounts to crypto Correct. exchanges. So we deal with this every day because we onboard members every single week, right? And trying to get money from their accounts, whatever the bank is, into a crypto exchange getting harder and harder. To the point where we're now looking at overseas options, overseas banks, all that sort of stuff. Because eventually, basically what they're trying to do. So I, I did a presentation a couple of years ago on this, and this is all playing out a lot faster than what I expected. It's about 18 months ago. My, my prediction was that they would continue the money printing, continue the inflation, and everyone would start to get eroded, eroded down in, in their wealth um they would take the off what's known as the on ramps of crypto away so that means the ability to get your money from your bank you get into crypto mm. so earlier in the year four of the US banks went bust they were all four major crypto banks is that a coincidence i don't think so when you know what well, you know what i know you've been down the rabbit holes i've been down it's not so they're taking the the on ramps off and then uh so the on ramps away and then eventually they'll take um Sorry, they're taking the off ramps off. So trying to get your money out of crypto or in is becoming hard. Eventually they'll they'll stop you completely. You won't even be able to get your money into crypto at all. And the reason the reason why is because of this technology, this central bank digital Now they're not going to be called CBDCs. They're going to have fancy names and they're going to be marketed in such a way that you're like, oh yeah, I want to nice use that. Friendly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. and and there's every major country in the world is either piloting their own CBDC now or they're building one. There's, a, there's research on it, right? It's all happening as we speak. Right. The strain Reserve is doing it.
0: And we're going down that path too as a business. Like we, on our, all of our invoices, you can click that little link that says pay with Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, but see, that Bitcoin is an open source technology that's not controlled by anyone. Now they can manipulate the price, but they can't ever own and control that currency. You can't take that away from people, okay? Mm. Whereas with CBDCs, it's the same blockchain technology used for evil, basically. If you look underneath what they're, you read their white papers, what they're trying to do. So eventually... This is the way, is the way that, I, that I see it playing out, right? You're going to wake up one day and all the money in your bank account is going to be converted to a CBDC. You'll no, you'll no longer actually own that money. It's all part of their system. They can take it away from when you when they want. They'll dictate how much you're allowed to spend, when you can spend it, what you can spend it on, who you can spend it with because it's all programmable. And they can say things like, "If you don't spend this money by 11 p.m. tonight, we're going to take it away. If you don't pay your your parking fines, whatever, they'll take it straight out of your money. Eventually,
0: civil war is happening.
1: Event, yeah, yeah. There's there, there's, there's going to be there is a there is a financial revolution that's happening at the moment. In fact, I talk about three of them. There's a there's a monetary revolution, a financial one, and an internet revolution. This is what I present on. Come to the webinar, you'll see it. So there's there's three happening at the moment. It's just that it's just that it's not you don't hear a lot about it and the way that crypto is portrayed in the news is that it's scam it's frauds it's ponzi schemes it's it's gambling all the rest of it that does exist but the whole space is not that. you don't tar you know tar everything with the same brush right mm. so so this is why now there is a limited time opportunity to actually get some of your money outside of this financial system because here's the other thing that's going to happen we're gonna. We're probably going to see the biggest crash we've ever seen in human history, way bigger than the 2008 global financial crisis, or mm-hmm. we're going to get hyperinflation. There's actually no way now, if you look at the debt ceiling that keeps getting raised in the US, yeah. there is no way out of this. It's either biggest crash of all time or hyperinflation. Both of those are really, really bad. Yeah. One is a very fast kind of death. The other one is a slow and painful death, which will accelerate because hyperinflation accelerates really quickly. Whichever whichever one happens, people are going to get absolutely screwed, and this is why we're raising awareness around this because people don't understand what's coming. I don't know which one it's going to be, but what I what I speculated on eighteen months ago when I talked about this before this CBDC stuff coming out, I didn't I didn't call it a CBDC. I just called it a digital currency that the banks own. Is okay. Let me just step back a minute. The way. What when I when I've been down this financial system rabbit hole, right, and seen the powers that be and how things are manipulated, and this is across everything, pharmaceuticals, health, it's everywhere. It's not Absolutely. just finances, right? Absolutely. And you're seeing, you're on know, the same page. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, I it got me. I now think about trying because part of my role now is strategically with Breakout is trying, and, try and see where markets are going, what the future technology is, and all the rest of it. And I'll, I'll, I'll finish off by. We're talking about the next project I want to do, but let's finish this one first, right? So the way I look at things now, and it's the same way I look at the media is, I think about if I was one of the elite, what would I do to absolutely screw people, steal all their money and everything and have all the power control myself? And it's a pretty dark thing to spend too much time in, mm. but I do it as a thought experiment because it helps me understand where I think things are going. Now, when I did that with this Talk 18 months ago, it was basically like, okay, cool. If I was that person trying to get more and more wealth, um, I would inf- have everyone thinking they're making more and more, and more, and more, and more money. But with inflation, they're not. Get it to a point where it's so leveraged and all the rest of it. Right before I crash the market, I'm going to sell all of my assets and then open up sh- leverage shorts, which means you make money when the, when the market goes down, and then just absolutely crash the whole market and all the wealth basically gets shifted to me and everyone else basically gets screwed Mm. and not only that why don't I use that opportunity whilst everyone is so absolutely desperate and completely ruined way worse than 2008 to bring out my own central bank digital currency where everyone is forced to take it up because I have no other option Mm. and now all of a sudden not only have I just got all the wealth but now I have control over everyone for the rest of eternity Mm. right now You you gotta meet you know, thinking here, you know, the brain's ticking here. The scary thing about that, and I talked about that 18 months ago, it's exactly what's playing out, man. And when you look at wars and all this other stuff, it's all part of it. It's all part of it. And it's just, it upsets me because, you know, I always grew up like the world's a great place. You know, people that I idolize now, I no longer do and I won't name names. And it kind of breaks my heart a little bit because it's like so many, like I'll walk down the street. This is what, this is why, you know people joke like oh my in our financial matrix michael's the neo right Mm. but it's not i'm not going to claim that i've you know completely you know i can destroy the system because i can't i can raise awareness so sometimes i just walk down the street and i look at people living their life and and actually you know what let me tell you a story about this so last year when i went to to europe i went we did a seven night cruise to the mediterranean had a butler and everything it was it was amazing Shelled out for it. Um, the whole trip was paid for in crypto profits as well. That's that's when I shelled out. Also, just to demonstrate that you, you can have financial freedom and live the life you want and, and and have some fun along the way as well, right? Absolutely. So one of the stops was at Naples and on Napoli, and we went to Pompeii. You heard of Pompeii? hmm So Pompeii was a thriving Roman, sophisticated city during the, the first century, right? Right, like the highest technology, absolutely smashing it, wealthiest, one of the wealthiest areas and all the rest of it. The whole time they were living under Mount Vesuvius, Correct. under a volcano that was that was an active volcano, ready to erupt. Ready to erupt, the but yeah. they had they didn't have the knowledge, they didn't have the understanding, skills, or experience, or anything to know that they were living right under that unstable environment, and at any time that could erupt and take everything away from them. Correct. And including I remember themselves. Yeah, exactly. And I remember walking through. Have you been there? I have not. If you get a chance, you got to go man they they they're excavating they're like two-thirds of it three quarter of it's all excavated now excavated and it's done in such an amazing way that you can see like people's bedrooms, their kitchens, some plates like it's the level of detail that you can pick up on and it just walking through it really like you're saying visualizing it took me back to just thinking you're the top of civilization. how good is life? you're rich, wealthy, you're absolutely killing it and you don't know the whole time that can be everything can be taken away from you and what happened in 79 AD mount vesuvius Correct. erupted uh, covered the whole thing in ash and everyone lost everything including their lives Correct. okay the irony of that was not lost on me so today we live in an unstable financial system that at any point in time can erupt and take everything away from everyone mm. and the majority of people this goes back to me walking down the street and looking at people living their lives 90 plus percent of people have no idea of this and what's happening in the financial system how everything can be taken away from them and here's the thing right i just want to i
0: want to strengthen your point there um for you to start a business and accept cash you don't need anything apart from a business to run right for you to start a business and accept card payments the bank money. still, but not only that, but the bank has to approve you to mm. use that facility. Mm-hmm. So when I was starting, so I had a tech startup as well, right, in the NFC space, near fields communication yep. space. And you know what? They didn't, they didn't, didn't get it. They didn't understand what we were doing. So the bank knocked us back on our, you know, our, our financial facility applications. We, they could open a bank account for us, but to actually receive payment, they they denied us access to that. So you can imagine how stressful that
1: would have been, you know, when you just want to take someone's credit card and they won't let – Let me – let me. You know th- I do and let me extend on that. So I'm part of a project now that is building a payment gateway mm. where you don't need a bank anymore. Fantastic. And I'm, lo- I'm already launch- – we're already launching this to a private private healthcare community. Um, so you can still charge credit and debit cards. In fact, you can still receive money to a bank account, but on the other side you receive stablecoin. So you receive a digital asset. Mm. Okay, and you can now invest that. You can spend that. I've got is that, uh, debit card. Next project? No. Oh, okay, this I'm doing multiple projects. eleven companies, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, this isn't the one, but but all this stuff is linked in some in some way, shape, or form. I get form. you. I get you. So just to close off on the on the financial matrix, hopefully that's any of the viewers or anyone listening or un- listening to this or watching it is gets a little bit more understanding of what's happening and why it's so important. Like, let's let's even if you don't believe everything i've just said because a lot of people like oh you're a conspiracy theorist i'm like if you look (laughs) at a lot of conspiracy theories they turn out to be conspiracies it's just that people knew about them before anyone else did right so you don't even need to believe me but just what's your contingency plan if i'm right correct okay so what if i'm right and everything gets taken away from you or your money gets taken away from you whatever right fucked so the way i talk about it in a more balanced way is Get some of your wealth outside of the traditional financial system. Precious metals is also good, like gold and silver, but they're not super usable, hard to transport, can't shave off a flake of gold and go pay for a coffee, right? So they're right. good to store wealth, but they're not good as a currency. See, money is to store wealth, currency is to spend. And that, that, this is another segue, the problem, um, a side note, the problem with the, the fiat money system, US dollars and Australian dollars, is they went from being money because it was backed by gold, which means it held its value over time, to being currency where if you don't spend it, you're losing the value in it. So now they've motivated everyone to just spend all the money and people are still trying to save the money thinking that it's building wealth when it's not. Do you see how it's tricked people like that $100 bill goes into half, they think they've got $100, dollars they only got $50 now. That's, that's inflation, true. that's stealing people's wealth. That's right. right. So money, currency. So Bitcoin is a digital form of gold basically. And it can also be used as a currency, but the most important thing is it will hold its value over time. It's got a limited supply, 21 million. So as as people realise that the financial system is basically there to screw them, more and more people are going to understand that the only real asset is precious metals or Bitcoin, and they're going to start to move across to Bitcoin. And the the, the only thing that price can do is go up because you've got and a scarce
0: asset. I'm actually glad you mentioned that because this is something. So I, I've done a lot of work in export, right? Mm-hmm. And so because the US dollar is crashing big time, you're seeing all Western countries around the globe looking at ways that they can not use USD to trade. Correct. And so what's happening is Russia and China have bought up all this gold, uh, you know, because
1: that's where they're trying to do the trades in gold. By the way, it's called de-dollarization. It's actually got a turn. So they're moving away from the US dollar. you, You know this more than I do, right? But it just
0: kind of proves my theory too. So I've actually turned around and said, well, they're not gonna they're not gonna go and use gold because they know that Russia and China own most of it at the moment because they've been buying it up the last four years, three three four years. But then on the other side of that as well, they're not gonna use you know I can't remember what the Russian currency is called, but you know the, those those dollars they're not gonna use the Chinese yen because the Western countries won't submit to that. Now here's the thing. They're going to look for a currency to utilize that's going to make the transactions easier. They're going to have escrows that want to be able to hold that money very easily. And and my theory was that they were going to move to cryptocurrency because, like you said, you've got that upcoming crash. I can see it too. I'm sitting there going, that crash is going to really screw that that the U.S. dollar, the Australia, every dollar that's known to man on the western in the Western world. And you're going to be left to precious metals, which is I always knew. And then you either that, or you're going to be left to crypto, and yeah. so that's where now, like I, I really appreciate what you've just said because it kind of reinforces the statement that I've been making to my contacts in the export industry, yeah, who are good in export but not so good in the financial system, yeah, you know what
1: I mean? Correct. So have you heard of BRICS? BRICS in, in what sense? Bri- okay, BRICS uh, in this in this context. So you wouldn't have. So no. BRICS bricks is a is a co- is a combination. Um, it's grown from just five, but Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Okay. So they've all basically, they're in a the process of de-dollarizing themselves yeah. and they've formed, um, their own allegiancy. Um, and they've actually just accepted, I think five or six new nations, new nations into that. Wow. So they're potentially the next, basically the next power BRICS. They're going to be creating their own currency and here's what they've done, which is the, one of the most clever things. So just to take what you've said to a whole new level. Because these people are not going to use Bitcoin because Bitcoin they can't control. They need to have a right. currency they can control. Bitcoin is there for the people, basically. Crypto's there for the people. The, the countries, the nation states, the rest of them, they might buy some and mini play the price and whatever, but they're going to have their own currencies, right? So BRICS is creating one. And what they're basically doing, it's brilliant. Let me see if I can explain it. Because um, I'm still getting my head around it my myself. They're going to be pegging their currency to basically one ounce of gold. Okay, so they're not going to back it by gold. They're gonna they're gonna peg it to one ounce of gold. Now this does a couple a couple things. I need to get my head around this because I haven't thought about it for a while. Basically. They don't need to maintain a a peg. They don't need to maintain like what's the value of the BRICS currency versus the Australian dollar, whatever. They don't need to work out any of the conversion rates or anything because it's just one ounce of gold and gold already has all of the conversion rates. So they don't need to create any infrastructure when it comes to foreign exchange. Mm. It's the first brilliant thing. Second thing is they don't need to back it by anything. I mean, it's their own currency. They can do whatever they want. But here's the other thing, right? Gold is is the best asset at the moment to actually hold its value over time. Mm. And the U.S. dollar is losing its value to everything, but particularly to gold. Mm. So if the BRICS currency is is pegged to gold and gold's going up in value and the U.S. dollar's going down in value, Mm. what happens to the BRICS currency relevant to the U.S. dollar? Well, then that's going to have higher value, isn't it? Basically. Exactly. Yeah. So perpetually, it's going to be growing in value compared to the U.S. dollar. So if you wanted to buy and own currency, are you going to buy and own the U.S. dollar or are you going to buy and own BRICS?
0: BRICS. Basically,
1: that's, that's going to make a lot more sense. So the, 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 what's known in crypto is called tokenomics. It's like the economics around the token, right? The way they've designed the economics or it would be tokenomics in crypto mm. is designed to crush the US dollar to the point where the free market is just going to go, well, I'm clearly going to be using bricks because at least if I'm holding it, it's going to hold its value over time because the value of gold has gone up because the value of the US dollar is going down because of all the money printing that's happening, right? Correct so it's genius so now all they need to do is find a way to execute it from a technological perspective that might take some time um but it's not BRICS goes into a whole bunch of things it relates to the middle east and all the rest of the thing let me just say one point about the middle east without getting too political about it people think especially in the west think that we're too far away from the middle east that it's going to have an impact on our lives that wall right mm. the reality is if a full-on global war breaks out in the middle east the middle east is the world's largest oil producer right That could hinder the production of oil. The price of oil is going to go through the roof. It's about it's about 130 dollars a barrel now and petrols let's say two dollars a liter
0: like seven dollars
1: a Look we well, could be a lot higher man. It could go up to a thousand dollars a barrel if it gets really bad. that'd be ten to fifteen dollars a liter. Can you imagine the price, even just food, um let alone at the pump at the pump no one's going to be able to afford petrol anymore but fuel is what transports petrols, is what transports stuff around the world right So the price of everything's going to go up so we think inflation's bad now if something like that blows up it will get absolutely insane and it's going to just accelerate this whole process right absolutely and again the only way to really protect yourself for that because even things like property if you have a look at the global agenda the world economic and the rest of it they want to start repossessing property and they've got a quote that says you will own nothing and you'll be happy what that means is every single asset they own, and you will just pay subscriptions, you'll just rent stuff from them. It's already started, right? Everything's moving to subscription model. One of the car manufacturers, side note, I can't remember who it is, it's one of the big ones, their seat, when you, when you buy the car, to get the seat covers, you have to buy a subscription. It's the same with cameras.
0: So yeah. Yeah, believe it or not, even cameras now, because it's now yeah. in my domain. Yeah. Even cameras you buy a Nikon today, yeah, and then for you to be able to utilize
1: certain features that it has and it has these features available, you have to buy a subscription yep. and there you go. Activate. So this is all part of conditioning people to start accepting subscriptions in areas of their life they will know they accept wouldn't other, otherwise have accepted it. The same way that in CoVID they try to pass vaccine uh, vaccine passports right they tried they're trying to pass this stuff to gradually get more and more control and to test to see are people going to accept this yet or do we need to go another way and come back right the the, the world economic forum and tried to pass a vote during covid or after it to give them the rights to dictate what a pandemic was what's allowed to treat it what's not allowed to treat it they were able to repossess land in the in a matter of emergency right this was going to give power all the countries were going to vote it thankfully they said no but they got like 30 plus percent of the vote this was ridiculous they're going to give some entity that actually has not been voted in mm. control over dictating something as, as important as a pandemic and how every country reacts to it 33 percent of the vote so it's starting to creep up there man it's scary there's so many of these rabbit holes i don't want to go down too far on but that was what i wanted to cover on the financial matrix i think i covered that's everything we wanted to cover but that's good Wrapping up, right? So tell me, once... yeah, the last one. This is the exciting one, right? But me. that was more about just making sure people are aware of what's going on. So
0: what I'm going to do is I want you to keep talking. Yeah, I'm just going to double check that camera.
1: Make yeah, sure yeah, go it's still for it.
0: Rolling, right? It. Everything else is rolling. We're fine. I'm going to check this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want you to start dabbling yeah. into it, right? Um, so go, take it away. Tell me
1: all about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the next project uh, I'm going to work on is a is a is a cross between. Um, Blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, and artificial intelligence. Gotcha. It's okay. going to be. There's a lot of stuff happening in this in this area. This is just something that we're working on. So, so we part of what we do is we provision, we find good passive income strategies out there, yeah. and we offer them to our members. We do this now. There's multiple ones there. Now I mentioned the the um, the trade the automatic trader that's making up to 25% um, annually, right? Uh, yeah. 25% a month. Yeah. So. What's re- there's a couple of things that's really exciting about, um, about blockchain. You've heard of tokenization? Yes. Yeah, so breaking things up into smaller pieces um, online so that you can, you can own just a small, pe- a small piece of something. It's going to be huge in real estate. One of our technology providers already has a platform for this for fractionalized real estate. So if saying, oh, how, how expensive is it to buy property these days? Very. Or very expensive, right? So if you want to build a diversified property portfolio, you need to have a shitload of money or go into a lot of debt. With fractionalized real estate, you could have as little as 10,000 bucks and own a piece of 50 different properties, properties around Australia. One of our partners is basically has released this and they're now settling on like half a billion dollars of property at the moment to be part of this first fund, right? So that's pretty cool. But fractionalization is gonna to come to everything. Precious metals, stocks, bonds, everything. All of, this, to all of these assets are gonna to be tokenized on the blockchain because it's the most efficient way to manage it. And it's the easiest way to, to transfer. So all of the tra- traditional financial system will move to blockchain tech eventually or components of it because of this efficiency. They might own the blockchains and it won't be transparent like, we can, like like Ethereum and Bitcoin is, but it'll be using blockchain technology like central bank digital currencies. Mm. Um, but it's really cool because as an investor, you can now own a tiny fraction of a resort in the Caribbean. And then if that, if that blows up in value because that that Caribbean country goes up in value, now your investment goes up in value. Mm. So it's gonna open up all these doors around, around investing into assets that most people can't get a hold of. That's one thing that's really exciting about it. Um, the other thing that we spend a bit of time on as well is, is in our workshop if you when you come to it is we take you through what we call a um, a um, financial freedom blueprint process. So you go through a survey, you see where you are financially, where where your gaps are we take you through your financial freedom number. So it's a calculator I've come up with that tells you exactly what your number is of assets to reach financial freedom. So you can work out the gap and most people's gap is pretty big. Mm. Um, and then then we go through a risk profile. So you understand the type of risk you are as an investor and all this helps to inform what kind of investment portfolio that you would put together. So this is stuff from tra- traditional finance, but we just give a bit of a kind of crypto spin on it. So where, where we want to take this is so I'm just let's imagine the future, right? So you can, you, can input, you can go through, do these surveys and the application that we build will actually automatically craft the investment portfolio for you in terms of exactly what proportion you need, where for good risk diversification, good uh, everything, right? Not only that, but it can actually automatically manage that portfolio for you and start moving assets around um, as, as it sees the markets moving To optimize your returns whether it's capital appreciation or passive income without you having to do anything Mm. pretty cool that's right
0: it's pretty
1: awesome so this the the technology to make to create this to make this possible is pretty much here now or nearly here now Mm. and and obviously ai is a part of it and blockchain and tokenization is the next part of it because You can't move from stocks to gold to crypto to U.S. dollars like that instantly with next to no cost. Now you got to be moving stuff around through the financial system. Then you got to move to gold. This fee, that fee—that's the other thing. How many fees you're paying? All these intermediaries in the middle, right? With blockchain technology and decentralization and tokenization, this will all become instantaneous and very, very low cost so we can see what's happening in the markets we can go straight from you know crypto into gold to safeguard it or crypto us dollar and then we can go into stocks and real estate fractionalized real estate all this stuff will be able to happen seamlessly and so combining that with some financial inputs on you personally using artificial intelligence this whole thing can actually be managed Mm. so so we we we're technically although i haven't started building it from a technological perspective actually i technically have all the mechanisms to make it work, the different strategies and all the rest of it we already have. That's what our members take advantage of now. That's just awesome. doing it in a more smarter automated way.
0: And that's and that's what's in the works. This is what's happening for you. And that's
1: what's that's, that's what the next software project is because now I'm exiting Easy Employer very shortly. It's like, okay, it's time to start thinking about the next project. So uh, this Brilliant. is this is what it is. It's, it's got a name. I won't release it publicly. I actually did mention it at an event that we were both at um, not too long ago. Brilliant. But uh, it's it's in the works. So super excited about that. I'm doing a talk at the Australian Crypto Convention in two weeks' time in Melbourne on the 11th and 12th of November Sick. on the future of wealth uh, investing in wealth creation using AI. So I'm going to talk a little more about what I just talked about here. I'm um, also doing a second one there on how to reach financial freedom faster as well, which is kind of what we do at Breakout. So if you start to immerse yourself in our webinars and our one-day workshop, you get exposed to that too.
0: That's brilliant. Michael, listen, man, this has been a very insightful podcast, I'll have to say. <laughs> uh, we, we've gone on, you know, it's probably, probably one of the longer podcasts. <laughs> I was going to say, is it of the others, longest right? one. It's cool. I love it. I love it, right? And I said this to you before, right? So for me, if we go over time, I'm more focused on providing the value than I am about keeping to times. I think it's important that we don't cut things short if there's really good value to share with people, right? Awesome. So, man, I I love this podcast. It's been actually really brilliant. I really appreciate you coming by. Look, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be tuning into this they are going to want to know who the hell you are. Um, how they can get in touch with you. Do you want to share a little bit about how people can get in touch or know more about what you do?
1: Yeah, so to follow me at uh, Michael Hazo on Instagram, it's probably the easiest thing. We can just Google Michael Azilius. I'm on LinkedIn all the rest of it. Um, Breakoutsolutions.com is the, is the website. And um, the next Future of Money live event, um, if you just go to Breakoutsolutions.com, it should be up there. should be a link up there. Come, come along, come and learn more about it and then see if it's a good fit. And then we can go from there, come to our one day workshop and all the rest and, of it. And we can help you break out of the financial matrix. Absolutely. I love Absolutely. That's it. Right? Let's see, break out of the financial matrix and build your digital path to prosperity.
0: I love it. Fantastic. I really, really love that. You know, so mate, thank you so much for coming by. If you're at home, you wanted to chat as well and you wanted to ask more about Launch Day, it's support at launchday.au. Feel free to reach out.
1: And, yeah, thanks. Michael. Yeah, just thanks for having me, man. It's been an awesome experience. It's a really awesome thing you have going on here. Definitely feel like a rock star. So, thanks for that. And uh, yeah, I can see that we've gone quite a bit over time. So, I appreciate no, you've no mate, that, that you kind of let that let that roll. You want another man, round? <laughs> I can talk about this shit all night. So yeah, you better you better not give me the option. <laughs> I love it. I love
0: it. And was there anything that you wanted to share with anything anyone, sorry, with our audiences before we go as well? Was there any one thing that you wanted to share with them at all? Or.
1: Um, I think I've touched on be careful what you see in the media and always do your own research. And um, yeah, everything I've talked about today, I think is super important for everyone to be aware of. And I think we're positioned really well out of any of the educators out there to help people more than anyone else I've seen globally. Some of the products we've created don't exist. So come and immerse yourself in what we're doing and join us on the mission because we're we're all on a mission to to help a million people why not everyone that comes along the way contribute to that mission as well that's the whole point so absolutely love cool. to see you around the mix
0: that's it going around as a team man and that's that's what's important and that's that's something that's important for me too is, is bringing those that are close to me along with me
1: absolutely so, love, no, it. I love it man. cool group. man
0: thank you Michael thank you so much and guys we'll see you at our next episode probably in a couple of days from now you'll see our next release
1: so-